0: I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit mauinuivenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from Merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Oh, uh, you know how I bought these glasses, like... Five for $10. I just went to the eye doctor. Not the kind I needed.
2: <laughs>
0: I need a 0. 0.75 magnification, not a 2. That's why it's like really. <laughs> He's getting me all hooked up, man. Oh, good. Oh, what? my vision, my normal vision, long range, um, 2020 still. Oh, Old good. as I am. And if I put these special glasses he's getting me, I'll have 2015. Huh. That's what I have. Do you know what that means? Yeah. You know, I never knew what the net meant. It means your one eye is
4: better vision than 2020. It's 15. You got the
0: machine on right now? Machine's on. Let me tell you what it means. I didn't
4: know what it meant either until... <laughs> Here's
0: what 2020 vision Was, means. I, I had right? no idea. Wasn't I right? No, it's like... I, I, I didn't know what the numbers meant. All the numbers mean is at, at 20 feet, okay, you can see just as good as average people can see at 20 feet. Gotcha. That's all that means. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, how big is the average? Like, how big is the pool? He said it's like virtually infinite now. Yeah. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have taken this vision test. So 2020 just means you're Joe Blow.
5: How come they never 50. test you above, like, to see if you're above the average? Well, it's if I put 20, on... 20. They do. Well, here's
0: the thing. I have a slight stigmatism in my left eye, or something like that. And if I put these super glasses on that he's going to get me, meaning glasses... Um, <laughs> They're big goggles. I'm 2020 now. <laughs> I will be able to see... The bottom line. No, no, yeah. It's the bottom line uh, on the test. No, listen. <laughs> that's not what it means. I will then have I will but then have is. I I will then have 2015. Meaning
4: You can read the bottom what line What Joe line at 20 Blow feet. can
0: see at
6: 15 feet. I can see at 20. And what it has nothing to do with the line on the bottom. Is there like an, like an accredited like test to see how far like you can actually go with that like, I don't know it's like the Rorschach test but it's not I feel like every time I've ever been to like a, like an eye doctor they just do like the standard one they're like okay you can see good oh like you never got to max her out yeah exactly remember my guy would do it he's nice
0: tell him to push it out yeah
4: remember when they redid the food pyramid a few years ago because we were thinking maybe we shouldn't just be eating nothing but bread <laughs> yeah
0: like, but, let's, but let's
4: rethink this I think we should rethink these eye tests yeah. and what 2020 means
0: and the, the food pyramid was written by the dairy industry Though. There's, you, do, you know that whole conspiracy know, theory? That the dairy people are like, listen, I got an idea for a food pyramid. Put our stuff on there up top. You know?
4: Well, top, top.
0: Or, uh, at the thick where, part. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I think dairy's near the bottom. So yeah, that's, that's yeah, the thick part. It was yeah, their yeah. idea. It was the dairy industry's idea. That's a conspiracy theory. But I don't like to traffic in those too much. Joined today by Tom Miranda. <laughs> 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 that works. Bow hunter extraordinary. Well, Tom Miranda, did two. You became famous for two things. Like first, he became famous as a trapper, and then became famous as a bow hunter. There's a little bit of crossover in there. There's a lot of crossover. It's not like you were like a famous librarian. And then became a famous bow hunter. I was an infamous librarian, actually. Oh, yeah. You know what? Tom and I had drinks last night. Not really. Not really. (laughs) Like, we had beers, Um, even though we were both thirsty for a drink. Um, He's like a rare book collector. Absolutely. Yeah. And told me his story. I almost want, later, I almost want you to tell the story about the Captain Cook books. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. Are you, are you able to do that?
1: Absolutely.
0: Because what if the guy hears and realizes what a mistake he made? I think he's dead as a hammer at this oh, okay. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a rare book collection. And he has narrowed in on rare books about piracy.
4: Sounds interesting.
0: See, I thought that tit laid the hell out of Spencer. That's no, I'm like, in. Oh, I okay. want to skip everything he on Let's just <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> Uh, also, we're gonna get it. We got to cover a few things. Then we're gonna get back into it. Um, tell me about your archery super slam holder. That's North America. North American twenty nine. Correct. So North America has twenty nine big game species. That's uh, basically tracked by the Pope and Young Club. And how do they break them out? Like how many how many like mule deer black mule deer slash blacktail are
1: on the list? Well, there's five deer. There's the white tail, the desert cows white tail. There's the You're sica- a cows man, not a coos man. You can be coos if you want. Okay, cows is correct. Uh, you also have. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. So so okay okay I, I interrupted you. I shouldn't have done that. That's okay. back up on deer. There's five deer. There's five deer. There's the there's the white tail, the desert white tail. There's the mule deer. There's the Sitka blacktail and the Columbia blacktail. There's oh, five deer.
0: I thought they like really. Hayden and I were just talking about this. I thought they really got into those, all those kind of like goofy distinctions, where they're like, you know, like
1: dividing up the country's whitetails and stuff like that so it's pretty clean well there's a whitetail slam where you can get you know biologists say there's 32 plus different subspecies of whitetails when you start talking yeah. about it all but you know with all the different programs over all the years of seeding deer here seeding deer there there's really not it's, oh it's about they, eight. They, they let them all bleed it's about together. eight pretty much yeah. yeah only the desert cow's whitetail is the purest deer of all of them it's, it's because maintained, it's an isolated yeah it's maintained it's isolation correct Hit me with a couple,
0: like hit me with some other ones I wouldn't be thinking of that are in the twenty nine. How many cats are in there? Well, just
1: cougar. That's it. Yeah. So they don't put a yeah, bobcat in there. Or something no, like that. bobcat's not included. they don't consider that big game. How so, many? How many bears are in it? There's four: polar bear, grizzly bear, Alaskan brown bear, and black bear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm still trying to add it up in my head.
0: You know, it'd be a great trivia uh, trivia question for you, Spencer. What's that? Something like uh, based off that. Might have something like that coming up. Is that right? Maybe. Is it rigged in Tom's favor? Mm, not rigged. You know you're doing trivia <laughs> with us today. I'll try. I'm I'll, I'll game for anything. Uh, you, you listen. Just that little prelude conversation we're having right now. I feel like you might be in a unique position to win. Yeah, rare <laughs> book collector. That's a Super yeah. slam holder. <laughs> and he, he's kind of checked out on taxonomy. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> checked out on genetics a little bit. Uh. Okay, we're gonna come back to all that. Bear with us here. Absolutely. Feel free to chime in if anything happens and you need to know
1: about. Well, you got me seat belt and roped into this chair, so I okay. don't think I'm going anywhere.
0: Uh, okay, we got a, a double new launch we got to talk about. So Jason Phelps taking over at the Cutting the Distance podcast. So Jason Phelps and friends going there. If you already, uh, if you already subscribe, what's the word for it?
5: If you already, yeah, is it subscribe? If you already smash that subscribe button, I think is
0: <laughs> that's right. How if you've already it. smashed that subscribe button. <laughs> For Cutting the Distance, it'll just serve right up to you. If you haven't subscribed to Cutting the Distance, go do it now. So go where, you know, you're listening to a podcast right now, so go into that platform there and subscribe to Cutting a Distance. And uh, the first Cutting the Distance with Jason Phelps and friends, I'm on it, talking all about turkey hunting. Also, right now, speaking of Phelps, we have a hot new limited edition thing out. It's our line one pot call, our line one turkey call. They're available. So you can hit pause. You, you got to make up your mind. You can either hit pause and go do this or keep listening and go do this. Depends how good you are. Like doing something while listening to something else. So pause or not. But go to the Meat Eater online store. So go to the themeateater.com and you know follow all the prompts. Get one of our sweet limited edition turkey calls. Out of the black walnut and the Osage orange trees that, that, that Phelps and I felled, we wound up with About 1,400 calls. They're numbered sequentially, right? If you've been listening to the show at all, you know the whole backstory here. Years ago, me and my old man, my old man built a pole barn across the road from on this little parcel he owned across the road from our house. So me and him and my brothers built a pole barn there. We had to cut down a couple trees to make room for the pole barn, and we we cut down some oaks and had them milled. And then my old man stacked them up in the garage on little stickers. What do you call that in the lumber business when you're drying them out? We always call them stickers. Yeah, I, mean, I think they call per, them stickers. Not perlone, no. Oh, what? No, I think they always call them stickers. Stickers. Okay. Yeah. Stacked all of our planks up. They were just rough planks. Stacked them all in the front of the garage. Uh, and then later my dad died and they were still sitting there. And I eventually took them all and cut them into, like, strips and made a big workbench top and made my desktop out of them. So I kind of like that whole, you know, it was an interesting process to see. So I was telling Phelps, you ought to go cut down a tree and see how many turkey calls are hiding in there because these oak trees had a workbench hiding in them. They had an office desk hiding in them and probably could have made three more desks out of it. So we were talking about how many are in a tree, how many pot calls are in a tree. And we found, uh, we went to Kansas. We filmed this whole thing and we're making a video all about it. We went to Kansas and picked out a, a walnut, a big black walnut tree. And we picked out an Osage orange or a Bodark. And we got out of this walnut tree and we kind of fetishized the walnut with drone. You'll really get to meet the tree. 1,400.
4: Well, that's how many it was? 1,400.
0: Nice. I was wondering.
5: Did you guys kiln took, dry that?
0: It kiln- yeah, yeah. yeah. We cut it down in Kansas. Seth was there. He's an eyewitness. Took it over to Walnut, Kansas and milled it sent that to Phelps's place out in Washington where they kiln dried it and it wound up being out of that tree I took enough for a knife handle enough for a couple knife handles um 1400 pot calls were in that tree that's pretty cool and that's like select grading so we're selling 1400 i took 1004 they're numbered and what's funny is we were trying to save number one. This is like an incentive to purchasers. We were trying to save number one for the guy that owned the walnut tree. He won number one, but it got packaged.
2: Phelps oh, really? like, Ooh. dude, we got a problem. Oh, I, wow. He's like,
0: I already got to open up 300 of these packages to find number one. Or we do something special for the guy who gave us the walnut. So we got to figure out. Some, his, his call is gone. <laughs> so someone's going to make their order and get 001. It's, it's I like, took it's one golden ticket. Somehow Phelps, I was like, send me one. Phelps sent me 1,004.
4: <laughs> I got That's one, my special I got edition. One, <laughs> I got 1,002. Oh, you did? Yeah. Ooh, you got a better one than me. Better one than you. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, they're available. The line one pot call. Man, you have you messed with it? Yeah. Dude, it sounds. It's yeah, good. I was it,
4: messing, messing with it last night. It's yeah,
0: beautiful. I like it. And that Osage Orange peg. I like to point out the Phelps ruined one Osage Orange. Remember that? Yep. What do you call that? High chaired it, barber chair. Barber chaired one. Yeah. Like he notched it wrong and cut it and split that thing ten feet into the air. And yep. Then And he had to go find another one. <laughs> my my felling was perfect. Of course, the black walnut. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I was I was a, a black walnut expert. Guided me through it. You'll see that in the video. Yeah. So those are out. Get them now. Like I said, it's like fourteen hundred. So they're, I think they're going to vanish in a real hurry. Um, but man, they're gorgeous. They come in a sweet box. It's it's very it's like a it's like a collector's item. Um moving down. Oh uh, Chester, can you fill us in? First can you start out by
5: what what's going on with your shirt? This is a Schmidt's Ore House, which is a local watering hole back on Lake Winnebago. That's where I grew up in Wisconsin. It and it's Yiddish. it's a Sturgeon Spear sweatshirt. No, it sounds Wisconsin. (laughs) Wisconsin. (laughs) Schmitties. Schmitties. Anyway, this place is right (laughs) on the shores of Lake Winnebago, which every year in February, thousands and thousands and thousands of people gather. And they do this thing called Sturgeon Spirit. I'd like to challenge you on that.
0: Thousands, so there's already multiple thousands. So And thousands, so there's more multiple thousands. And thousands. Well, that's just... So that's a minimum
5: of 6,000 individuals. Well, yeah, we say things like that in Wisconsin, so take it with a grain of salt. But Anyways, there's 12 roughly, and I don't know the numbers, so but I think roughly 12,000 tags sold oh. this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so he
4: could have added a couple more. He could have said it three more
0: times. <laughs> <Yeah>.
5: <laughs> but obviously all 12,000 people are not out there spearing. But um, how long is the season? It's a quota season, so it just depends. It could be closed already, which it's not. It, it's um, still
0: open right now? You're like, this is, this is up-to-date information as of up, this recording.
5: Up-to-date Tuesday, day four. It says on the Winnebago system... Total sturgeon speared is 590. What's the quota? Um, Three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they went, no. Um, I, I don't know. It just, it depends, because there's like certain number of juvenile females, adult females, oh, and gotcha. males. And they'll shut the season down when they hit that quota. Anyway. Oh,
0: if they hit, and it has certain, it's like that, there's like a fisher unit where it's a 5 fisher quota but it's a one female. It all ends with one female. Yeah.
5: Yeah, cuz you can't really tell when they're down there um what they are.
0: But the, but tw- they give out so 1200 individuals or 1200 sheds, shannies, 12,000 tags.
5: 12,000 oh, tags. Oh, I was
0: like, "Man, okay, I see." So 12,000 so, people get a crack at filling a quota that's sub 1,000 fish probably.
5: Correct. And so you basically, I mean, if you were to show up on Lake Winnebago, there'd be road systems everywhere. There would be ice shanties as far as the eye can see, and you're trying to spear one of those fish which is like the odds are like you know it's like a very small percentage of the people that spear those fish
0: yeah but you run with an elite group of hard players because <laughs> according to the pictures you just sent to I mean, you guys are tearing in a new one out there
5: i i run with my cousin and <laughs> he is a scouting fool he drives out you know weeks prior to this season and there's certain things he's looking for like feed like food what oh the, this is
0: the guy that does the worm surveys
5: worm stuff um, looking for shad, gizzard shad, which it's a terrible year on the Winnebago system for gizzard shad. Um, it's a poor year for, from what I've heard, for the red worms, which is a lake fly larva as well. Um, but these sturgeon are bottom feeders, so they're just in the muck. They have these long mouths that will stick in the muck and they'll mill through there um, and eat stuff that has fallen in the mud basically Mm -hmm. um so what you do is um night before the season we call it cutting in so we take a chainsaw and we cut a hole that's about probably four feet by six feet into the ice and then you take these it's too big to lift it out so you got to push it under the ice and we call it sink in the cake so you take that slab of ice that you cut around and You push it down and you sink it and you push it away from your hole, and then you back up your ice shack, which is uh, ours is like a nice metal ice shack, um, with heat and heat and propane. Yeah,
0: you guys ever worried that a fish is gonna bang his head on that cake he sunk down there? <laughs>
5: <laughs> this is if what I'm if
0: he's cruising along real fast, this, not paying
5: attention. This is crazy that you say that, Steve. <laughs> so no, you would never think that, right? <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, I'm going to back up just a little bit before I get there. So, what you do is you cut that hole, you back up your shack on it, and the the actual frame that is of that trailer is on a hinge so you can lower it down to the ice. Yep. The ice shack, you can lower it right down to the ice. You shovel snow around it. It's really dark in there and then you you know shut the doors and you look down the hole and see what your clarity is. We could not see bottom very well, so we lowered some white siding down, and it's an X on a string down to the bottom of the lake. And that gives you, you, you can barely make it out, but at least you can see bottom a little bit and get a reference of where you might want to throw if a fish comes through. We spear off cameras, so we lower like a Markham camera down or an Aquaview camera down so you can see around you. Um, it would be very difficult to spear one if we didn't have that. You'd
0: have to move shallower.
5: In that depth of water. Yeah. But that's where the sturgeon were. It's a very controversial thing, whether you're spearing with cameras or not. There's some traditional traditionalists that aren't happy about that. So
0: you're, when you say spear the camera, you mean
5: only off the camera? Yes, um, like, I mean, I don't even understand that so this is what I'm getting at by the sturgeon potentially bumping his head on the cake that you sunk that's sitting up on top Tip: so we are only expecting to most likely spear that sturgeon on the bottom when we're using cameras you can look down the hole and you can't you might be able to make out a sturgeon if it swims right over your X and all you would see is a little black mark but typically we're on camera and that camera is facing your X and you do your, we have a TV up there so we can watch the screen and you'll see a fish swim through and you, you kind of are almost, it's an educated guess on where you're throwing. Hmm. Cause you're looking at that camera and you're like, I think he's on the edge of that X. I'm kind of opposed to this. <laughs> and Sure. I, I, I mean, I could see this why. is like
0: that guy in Texas that would allow you to log in and shoot deer. They, but they made it that you can't do that.
5: I mean, if you were there... Yeah, but he's
0: not spearing from Montana. He's spearing <laughs> off a screen. Yeah, but he's there. He might as well be he's somewhere present.
5: So, I mean... Well, you wouldn't
0: be able to throw the spear, I guess, if you were Out of those
5: 12,000 tags, Steve, it's like, you know, 590 were speared over the last four days. Very low odds. Um, That's like 5%. You, there are guys... Yeah, that, but his
0: party was so, spearing uh, them left and right.
5: So... There are guys that'll go like thirty some years and not spear a fish, and they're mainly spearing. They're mainly not getting fish because they're not using cameras. On a clear water year, they may get one. Chester, (laughs) Chester, Chester. What about what about? uh, I'm all for it. What about like tech fish sonars when you're when you're sitting there perch fishing? I like that stuff. (laughs) Okay,
6: I feel like this is very analogous to that man or those. uh, What what do you call them? The Live scope? You know, Live scope
0: yeah. or something. Yeah, it's true. I do feel a little so,
6: guilty doing that, but I like it.
5: All I can tell you is it's very hard to spear sturgeon. Mm-hmm. And even with cameras, you got to put weeks in of scouting. And, like, it's, it's hard. So yeah. going back to that, my family.
0: You, you ever hear a guy named Shakespeare? <laughs> yes. He's got a line, um, doth protest too much?
5: <laughs> mm.
0: Okay, So he hits his head on the
5: block. <laughs> the sturgeon hits his head on the block. I don't, I don't
4: know what that means either, Chip.
5: <laughs> uh, so my family speared two sturgeon over the four over three days the f- opening day and Sunday. Yeah, my cousin Jake speared one off camera. I was there with him.
3: Is Jake who speared one with Giannis?
5: Ike was. Ike was. Yep, okay. So Jake. My cousin speared one opening day. He hadn't gotten one in, like, I don't know, four or five years. Not even using the camera? He used the camera. Oh, okay. He saw it, pushed it under the ice, and somehow hit it. (laughs) Um, Just blind. Yep. They missed that day, too. My other brother missed. Second day. We're sitting there. I'm sitting with my brother Ike and his girlfriend, and he misses, and he's all bummed which is pretty typical and it's 20 minutes before missing
0: is missing is like is the thing that happens yeah Yeah.
5: very off camera it's like most of the time you're gonna miss but when you say off camera you mean on camera on camera yep that could get confusing yep yeah sorry about that um so yeah on camera fish are very easy to miss but we're sitting there's 20 minutes before it closes at 1 p.m every day so the quota doesn't you close at one so people have to check in their fish by a certain time so they don't go over the quota. Got it. So it's 20 minutes before the season closes, and we're sitting there, and Ike goes, or Tatum goes, Ugh! Who's that? His girlfriend. What's Ike's her name? Tatum. T-A-T-U-M? Yeah. Hmm. Tatum goes, Ugh! And Ike goes, like, <laughs> <laughs> And I look at the screen and see nothing. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, What the heck? And I look down and there is a sturgeon a foot under the ice. Right where that cake is. You know, it didn't hit its head on the cake, <laughs> but it's a foot under the ice. Really? And it's, you know, I gotta get the I gotta pull up how long it is right now. Uh it's sixty-eight inches long, seventy-four point three pounds, or seventy-three point four pounds. And which is like a big fish, but not huge. But when you see that thing sneak up on you a foot under the ice, it's the most surprising thing. It's like zero to hundred,
0: but it's like right under, I mean, it's like if it shot straight up, it'd come out of the hole.
5: Well, it's off to the side a little bit. Um, and and I could, I want to give all the details, but it'd just be too long. There was a crack, a big 14 foot long crack that opened up right next to his shack that wasn't there the first day. I believe that that sturgeon was following that crack. Oh. Because it came along and it was suspended, which they, they never, that never happens. Huh. So he sits there, grabs his spear, and kind of under the ice, but just jabs the heck out of it. I didn't think he was gonna give it enough oomph, but he hit that thing hard, just a perfect shot. And once you spear a sturgeon like that close to the ice, it's chaotic. You've got a decoy lines down. You've got another line down holding your siding X. You've got your camera line down. He's trying to hold on to this rope, and this big 70-pound fish is fighting. I'm sitting there trying to pull all this stuff out of the hole, and Ike's like, Chet, nobody cares about that stuff right now. Just get the gaff. <laughs> so I get the gaff. He gets a fish up. I gaff it, and, you know, it's just hooting and hollering, and very rare, you know, to spear a sturgeon. sturgeon. Uh, Ike speared one on the Fur Hat Ice Tour that Meat Eater did with my family a couple years ago, so you can go watch that. Called on Spearing Dinosaurs. Spearing Dinosaurs. So Man, he, he's on a roll. He is a, what, whoever edited the Meat Eater one, they called him a lucky bastard, and I find that to be pretty true. So. Damn. Then we took it to Schmidty's Ore House and had a couple beers. <laughs>
0: That's a good way to bring it full circle back to Schmidt's Ore House. I wish you would have picked me up one of those shirts, Chester.
5: I got to get you one. And you need to come back there. I know you're putting in for the upper Lakes Oh, me and Yanni like.
0: are in big time on the draw every year, man. We're accumulating bonus points on Sturgeon. Uh, here's one we're going to touch on real quick. It just, it's so upsetting to me. We all the time have video game people. I'm probably going to want to regret this later if I just want to cash in. <laughs> Phil's a video game person. Video game people are always trying to get us to like collaborate on a video game. Zero interest in that. Zero. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. <laughs>
4: yeah, I really wanted to play as Steve. Oh, yeah, like to do a video <laughs> game. Anyways, now there's like a
0: v- metavert, like, you know, Facebook changed its name to Meta. Yeah, why did they do that? Because you're going to get into matter. all this virtual reality stuff where you make up, it's like, You make up a little thing. You know how people make up those little emoji people versions of themselves? Yeah. Okay, imagine you make one of those. (laughs) You did that, right? No. (laughs) Imagine you (laughs) had one of those. We just
5: did that, Seth. It's imagine you
0: had one of those, but that's how you lived your whole life. You stay in your house, and you're like, I'm going to go to a concert. And then you put on goggles, and your little emoji person goes to a concert. And it seems like you're at... A concert. I know. There was. Some, but you're looking through a screen. There
4: were some Super Bowl commercials
0: that were like,
4: live this happy virtual life. Horrifying, Everybody's very excited man. about God. this stuff.
0: They're very excited that you can just sit right at man. home and be a total loser <laughs> and be just a pathetic loser at home. <laughs> <laughs> and you could look as good as you want. Yep. You could have everything you should have had yep. and you go and interact and make like virtual friends and live in the metaverse. You can even apparently buy virtual... like Zuckerberg is very excited about. This. I hate it. You he can change buy... his whole outfit to meta. You can buy virtual real estate. Oh, God.
6: really? Is that is that Fahrenheit 451 with like the lazy boy in the seashell? You oh. know, where, 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 like it's it's either that or it's uh, well, I forget what it was, but it's a very famous uh novel. And the whole thing is, like, they have all these folks that are just, like, plugged in with what they describe as, like, a little seashell earpiece. And they're just hanging out in these, like, lazy boys, basically, and, like, just existing in that virtual reality. I think you're thinking about um, that movie WALL-E. No.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. I'm going to look it up.
0: Uh, yeah, anyhow, they of course, they have now have a hunting version. But it's like, a, yeah, it's like a, it's like built on a blockchain technology. A hunting version, it's hunting terrible.
5: metaverse. Oh. Come on, dude. There's got to be a lot yeah. of NFTs.
0: You know someone
3: in our universe has a character on one of these games. That's great. I don't care. Okay. Who's this? It ain't
0: me. You want me to say? No. Yeah. Remy. It's Remy. He's into yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, He's into it. Or not. I don't know if he's into it. Might just be one of those things people do. Because they're like, man, that's not a bad deal. <laughs> um, I don't know. Are you in one, Tom? Uh, negative, Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do something for yourself? Buy our book, Outdoor Kids and in Inside World. That book's going to become more important than ever once everybody moves into the metaverse. Yeah, I agree. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell that book packaged with a hammer, <laughs> 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 where you can smash a bunch of that shit and read the book. Outdoor Kids and in Inside World. Available for pre-order now. Book's tearing it up on pre-orders. It's the it, it, it lays out the case for having your kids and your family become radically involved with nature. <sighs> Moving down. Oh, quick question someone wrote in with. Can you get trichinosis If you're cleaning a bear and get the blood all over you and you have an open wound on your skin, can you get trick from it? Uh-uh. Like it has to go through your stomach
4: doesn't your your, like stomach
0: acid have to digest the yeah you got to get like a certain number you got to get some amount of the cysts in your stomach and your stomach acid liberates the cyst then it has to go through your vascular system but you just messing around with bear meat and bear blood isn't going to do it are there like super long term effects of like that happening to you it it can attack your heart and and screw you up yeah but it's very rare yeah but when I had it that's what I was reading about. Is like the cases where people get it bad as they get too much of that 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 parasite
6: load gets too heavily into the muscle, the heart muscle. Do you and, have any idea like what your specific load kind of was, or if like your the the severity of your case? No, but the meat I
0: ate had um, a half million cysts <laughs> per pound. Jeez, if you ate if you sat down and ate a sixteen ounce pot
6: roast, I don't even know. half
0: a million <laughs> cysts loaded. Because the CDC came and got a chunk of my bear meat and hauled it down to Atlanta to their lab, and that's what they were, that's what they came back to me with. Um, you know how everybody's always trying to end bobcat hunting and lion hunting here and there. My whole This makes me proud to be a Michigander. They're increasing as bobcat numbers uh, continue to climb. They're expanding longer seasons, more units. The bobcat has firmly re-established itself. Um, good connectivity among units. So they're opening up hunting and trapping opportunities in Michigan for bobcats in order to meet the good news of bobcat numbers doing great. Still recovering from like the, the timber boom when they logged live and piss out of that state and killed all the wildlife off as we recover it people are rewarded with expanded opportunities. Anything to think about that, Spencer. Did you see any there when you were a kid? No, but I uh the first Bobcat, yes, but not down where I lived. The first time I heard of a Bobcat where right where I live was actually on a farm where I would trap fox and raccoon and the farmer's nephew was sitting in his tree stand and saw two bobcats. whoa, together. Hmm. That was the first reported and that was in the 90s. the first reported incident anywhere near my home of bobcats you could catch one bobcat a year north of us but we never focused on it because they were only worth 15 20 bucks because they're not like the western cats western cats right now even though fur prices are super down someone just sent me a text last night that they just sold a bunch of their cats for 450 bucks wow so spiking up not where it was a few years ago but high high this
3: article is on our website. One state might expand bobcat hunting and trapping seasons. It talks about the future of Michigan seasons. Tell me yeah. the headline again. I think I feel like that could have been written better. One state might expand bobcat hunting and trapping
0: seasons. So that's a piss poor headline. <laughs> One state might. It just One doesn't have might. like a real like. You know
3: what I mean? Well, it, you, it's you in the con- It's in the context <laughs> of we've recently covered how a lot of other states are going the other direction, like Arizona, Colorado, California, Illinois, Indiana. So when you see this on our Facebook page, you're like, whoa, who's what, doing
0: that? Yeah, what I do like about it, Crin and I were emailing, or Corinne was emailing me this morning about the opposite. Like, I guess it's, underselling an article is okay, <laughs> but Corinne was talking to uh, an anthropologist. Crin and him were emailing about a headline that came out, and he was saying that the science, when when— Popular news journals, popular news sources cover anthropology, archaeology. They often oversell and try to create these sort of fantastical headlines out of something that the science just doesn't support. Clickbait. So recently, like, there was this article, perhaps Neanderthals didn't suffer a dramatic kill-off, right? And he's like, I'm not aware of anyone who felt that they did. (laughs) Uh, a guy in wyoming just got busted for selling poached game meat and it's funny he wasn't even selling it as game meat he's shooting mule deer and antelope and quite a few of them and selling it as organic beef jerky he so they had suspicions about this dude and this dude sells access on his ranch for 350 bucks So some undercover game wardens from Wyoming book themselves a couple days of hunting on his ranch. And as they're wandering around, they notice like burn piles full of carcasses. Red flag. He's so secretive that he tells the undercover wardens what he does. (laughs) Smart. He's like, what I do, you see, I shoot antelope and deer and sell it as organic beef jerky. And they're like, you don't say. (laughs) So... They were able to put a pretty solid case against
3: him. And did you hear we like got the ball rolling on this? No. His ex-girlfriend oh. tattled
1: on him. Go figure. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> I didn't see that. His ex-girlfriend His told
0: ex-girlfriend. On him. His ex-girlfriend. I know a great saying about that, but I can't say it because it's too dirty. <laughs> I'm dying to know. It's the blanking you get for the blanking you got.
2: <laughs> I think we get it. <laughs>
0: Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game-changer. There's no more, like, leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deckcom slash eater to receive free shipping. Hey, man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch.
7: $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speeds lower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details
0: man i'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in wisconsin now last year at youth turkey season it rained and snowed the whole time this year at youth turkey season it was in the 70s and even up to 80 so me and my kids are pouring it to it and I, after a while i realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day well that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you encourage you to get hydrated doesn't matter outdoor events turkey hunting playing sports beach days mountain adventures summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick it's clear why liquid iv is the number one powdered hydration brand in america tear pour live more Uh, okay. Speaking <laughs> of law enforcement, we're gonna hand it. We're gonna hand it over to our very own Katie Hill, who's gonna lay out our first ever inaugural meat eater investigates. She's like Bob Woodward.
7: <laughs> That's the compliment of a century. <laughs> like the bo- she's the
0: Bob Woodward of the of the wi- of the wildlife world.
7: Thank you. So I wrote this story about finding Saiga antelope horns for sale on major online retailers. Um, Amazon, Etsy, and eBay, and I
0: found it. How? Because you were searching for them.
7: Yeah, I. It's kind of a strange story. So I was working um, for a different, like, international conservation media outlet.
0: And
3: Katie now works for us. She's on our editorial team. Yes, this is first time on the podcast. In the trenches so, yeah, now.
0: <laughs> pl- plug, uh, plug the article like how you like to do. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so the, the article is called Major Online Retailers Acted as Black Market for Endangered Animal Parts. Great writing from Katie and a great graphic from our own Hunter Spencer. This is Katie's first time on the podcast. Yeah, I didn't do a good job setting that all up. <laughs> That's
7: Sorry okay. about that.
0: It's, it's covered now. Okay, awesome. go on.
7: Thanks. Yeah, so I first found out about Saigo when I was working for a different uh, conservation outlet run by a bunch of B&C guys and I was trying to, I was building like a Twitter and Instagram profile for them and trying to populate those profiles. BNC with, Boone and Crockett. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Trying to kind of build up the two profiles to make them actually something, you know, worth looking at. And I found out about Saiga. And pretty shortly after, you know, it doesn't take long to figure out that they're super endangered and they have like a long history of endangerment. They're kind of all over like the Eurasian steppe grasslands. Mm-hmm. Um, also, their horns are used pretty heavily in, like, traditional Chinese medicinal practices. And so their horns are now kind of considered one of those taboo international wildlife trafficking issues.
0: Did you you notice Corinne nodded knowingly when you said that?
7: (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Are you familiar? (laughs) Asian folks use
0: all kinds of... Oh, it was that kind of like... It was yes. like your nod yeah. was more like a... Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, not <laughs>
7: surprised at all. We've seen it before. Yeah, so... My sick, twisted brain, like, decided that I was going to see how long it would take to find some online. Like, you know, would you have to descend into, like, the bowels of the internet to find this stuff? Or, like, where yeah. where would it crop up? Like, you'd, so- you'd wind
0: up on the Silk Road or whatever. Exactly. One of those- yeah, okay. yeah,
7: exactly. Um, so... I just fired a simple Google search "saiga horn for sale," and the first search result came from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, no freaking way! You I, could add it to your, <laughs> add it to your cart. Yeah, exactly. One time versus yeah, and you can imagine what this has done to like my suggested search items on Amazon <laughs> now. Like so, um, That's I wild. It was yeah. it was a lot. Well, I, at first, I the first natural thought was like, well, there's no way these are real. And also, like, made a point in the article that they don't really look like Saiga horns. They're like lacquered really heavily, and they're black. Um, and Saiga horns are more of like a camel color, so it's kind of hard to tell if they're legit or not. But so I went to this store on Amazon. What was the price tag on it? They were one pair was about like two thirty five, and one pair is like two ten. Hmm. Yeah. Katie has
3: screenshots of all of these listings in the article too.
7: Yeah. Then I went to the store because I was like, well, what else is this guy selling? It was listed to – the guy was listed in Russia. And the store was full of mounts, pelts, full body mounts, shoulder mounts of just a really eclectic mix of species. And so I was like, well, how much of this is legal? And so I started cross-listing. I decided I was going to like audit the whole store. And I started cross-listing the store with the uh, CITES database, the Convention for the International Trade of Endangered Species. And as I was doing this, more and more pieces kept cropping up. The store kept growing. And so I decided... You I mean, was, like, go,
0: while you're looking at it, his collection is growing.
7: Not actively, but I would, like, go <laughs> check to... Me, well, because, of course, I'm checking to make sure this stuff is still there.
0: Oh, but his, his holdings but are... his in, holdings
7: are increasing. Exactly. You, yeah. Like, the store grew. So which which the store made you grew. think it wasn't, like,
0: something that was yeah. kind of half-assed. Exactly. He was active.
7: Exactly. Yeah. So I made like a hard stop. I was like, all right, I'm gonna stop stalking this guy's Amazon store on like December 2nd. And as of December 2nd, my oh,
0: like, why did you want to stop stalking his Amazon store?
7: Because I had like I had to write the story. And eventually I had to like oh, I couldn't keep like You were
0: done waiting for it I to was get back. Yeah, exactly.
7: Yeah. I was done waiting for him to reform. <laughs> um, and so that final audit that I did, he had 164 pieces of taxidermy from CITES-listed species. And so I got in touch with Amazon, and they replied and gave a statement, and um, then proceeded to pull down—they said they pulled down some of his product. And after the story published, um, I went back in and looked, and his store that had been probably close to like—he had like 400 listings on the store. It was down to 10 listings. So they pulled down a ton of stuff, and it's hard to tell like what they pulled down, what was sold, like you know yeah, it's hard yeah. to know exactly. Um, but right before we were set to publish, um, I also decided, on a whim, to go see if eBay and Etsy also had any Cygohorn for sale. Um, eBay, I feel like, was a dead ringer. I mean they've had issues with, um, they've had issues with ivory trade and trying to suppress the ivory trade on. Um, eBay and so I dug in there and they had probably like 30 to 40 listings for Cygohorn and then Etsy had maybe 10 and so I got in touch with both of them as well and neither of them made statements but Etsy did pull down their Cygohorn listings. So it was so when you call
0: what you call it, customer service over at Amazon or did you kind of like back channel <laughs> a little bit?
7: I back channeled I used their um public relations I like see. their media relations contact um yeah.
3: What other critters did you find that they were selling parts from that they shouldn't be?
7: Yeah, so I found there were a lot of birds. A lot of birds that are on, like, the um, Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Um, Give me an example. There was was an Eastern Imperial Eagle, which is a CITES Appendix 1 species. Like a full body? Full body. Really? Yeah, there's uh, screenshots of that in the article, too. Um, And then a... uh, what was it called? A white tailed eagle, as well. Um, we're two kind of made, like really, really endangered. Like the international trade of these animals is seriously locked down. Yeah. And so, and so uh, yeah. let
0: me, let me, I got this question for you. And I might, I might be putting myself in jail right now. I don't know. <laughs> well, my <laughs> old man, Well, <laughs> my old man came back from World War II, yeah. he was in North Africa and he came back with this big ass dagger that has a big ivory handle on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would love to find someone that can help me figure out what it is. An ivory handle mm-hmm. and a leather sheath that's like a translucent mm-hmm. leather. I have no idea.
7: That's badass.
0: Well, um, if all of a sudden like I died and someone did an estate sale, okay, all of a sudden here's ivory. Yep. Right. On the market, and you'd kind of look and be like, I don't know, it doesn't feel um like malintent.
1: Book him, Dano.
7: What's that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> book him, Dano.
7: What does that mean? <laughs> Three hots and a cot. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> go to jail. That's from
1: the old Hawaii 5 0 show when they would get somebody. Oh, book, book, book him. him. Oh. Book him, Dano.
0: Yeah. So, like, like <laughs> if you see an eagle, I mean, where's the stuff coming from? You know what I'm saying? Like, how is it not that just whatever, some crazy guy had some stuff and then this guy bought it, and right? Yeah. Like, do you know that it was a guy he said, like, listen, man, there's a hot market. I want you to go shoot an eagle, and we'll stuff it and sell it on my website.
7: It's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, All I really can say to that is that the way that CITES works, um, so if the species, like, say that stuffed eagle, the stuffed Eastern Imperial Eagle, um, if that mount were created before the Eastern Imperial Eagle was listed under CITES, Mm -hmm. which was in 1977, if those products were already in existence before the listing occurred, then they are legal for trade. Oh, that's how they cut. So that's okay. so that's why you see a lot of like vintage ivory products that are, you know, very, you know, they're like they sell for incredible amounts of money. Really? I think so. Like So is my mans sure. knife maybe
0: super valuable? It
7: probably is. Yeah, don't sell it on it's eBay. It's a pretty though. healthy it's a pretty healthy <laughs> hunk of ivory on there, man. Yeah, definitely. That's a good idea. So, if it's, I mean, if it was from before, I mean, I can't speak specifically to ivory because I don't, I think there's a lot of separate rules that apply. But at least with CITES listed species, if those products were um, already in existence before the listing date, then they are technically. That's
6: how they're able to sell a bunch of like uh, pianos with ivory keys. Yeah. Mm. Because yep. old stuff. Yeah. Like I, when I was a musician, man, I bought a piano and it, and it had like ivory keys on it. Still. Mm-hmm. So like puts the ivories back into tickling the ivories. Sure does.
7: <laughs> exactly.
0: So do yeah. you have? Is it your? What's your suspicion? Like on the stuff that this guy was selling, is your suspicion that this was not stuff he picked up from some old estate sale, but that this was like stuff that people were doing because they could market it.
7: I think it was probably the latter. I mean, a lot of the species were. Largely endemic to Eastern Europe and Western Asia.
2: Got you. And they didn't
7: um, look
0: like old, like things that people have been smoking cigarettes next to for years. Some 50 of them years. really did. Oh, they some do. of them
7: were disgusting. And some of them looked pretty new and well done. Hmm. Um, there were a lot of, like, really, just really crappy pelts. Um, a lot of, like, <laughs> they almost looked like keychains made out of the talons. Got it. Off the birds. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a Siberian musk deer before. No. But it's like a deer with fangs about but, this long. You seen one of those,
1: Tom? Uh, not in the wild, but in Mountain. Yeah. I didn't buy it, though. <laughs> so on a, it's gone now but I was on this sweet website
0: I was on this sweet page on Amazon yeah. this so, guy went dark on me
7: <laughs> weird it disappeared so have you movie.
0: gone have you taken this and um, have you thought about going and trying to find some of the real dark stuff like like rhino horn do you think that the, like do you think that you'd find that it was that easy to get the things you hear about like every day like
7: I don't know I don't want to do that on my company laptop I can tell you that um, no. I I think so there was one website that I found in this whole searching process that was really strange um they sold like dried apple ab- they were selling abalone shell those are definitely Got not it, I think there's some restrictions on abalone shell sure. um like dried ox gallbladders, like really weird stuff. And they had they were selling bags of saga horns for like fourteen point five million dollars. What? A pop. Yeah. Yep. So
3: for a bag of them.
7: Yeah, here I'll f i will can
3: find these them were good deals them. then because I saw yeah. like on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> eBay it was like five hundred bucks for a one pound of Sagahorn.
5: Yep. You found one of those right now?
3: No 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 that's oh. uh
0: from Katie's article. I got you. Katie, next time because if you like that all that internet sleuthing, um, try to find us a deal on a really huge punt gun, like a it. huge punt gun.
7: I'll take uh, any any requests for dark web dealing. Yeah, big. <laughs>
0: how long? How long of a punt gun do we want? Uh, I would say
3: minimum like seven and a half feet. Yeah, that's when it like catches your eye. Like that's. That's something.
0: Yeah. Good eight-foot punt gun.
7: Someone else is going to have to pay for shipping on that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not paying deal. to ship that. So what,
0: <laughs> so are you, like, inspired now to make um, – are you just moving on? Or do you think you're going to do more stuff in this vein?
7: I don't know. I mean, it was definitely interesting to see that that stuff does exist, like, right under our noses on the websites that we – most of us, like, use pretty oh, yeah. frequently. Um, this is, like, a the, age, the age-old adage of – if you see something, say something. Yep. it's so nerdy, but it's definitely true. Um, I don't know. I'll we'll see if I if I stumble across any other strange stuff. It would definitely be kind of an interesting follow up story. But what,
0: what was the statement that Amazon made?
7: Um, they just kind of reiterated their seller policy on animals and animal products, which is that they abide by all national and international law, um, and they don't condone. Selling cites listed mm-hmm. animal products, and they
3: sort of distance themselves by saying something about like third-party sellers.
7: They uh, like, yeah, because there is yeah, they you know this stuff wasn't like you know available through Amazon Prime. This was oh like yeah, a, that's like a, a suggested it like a <laughs> item. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They didn't sign off on any of this stuff. Um, they aren't willing to put their name next to it, which I totally understand. Um,
0: that's that's a constant story and perspective from the tech world whether it's publishing, selling, Mm -hmm. where you have like a platform like Amazon and people say like, well, I bought it on Amazon. But Amazon is also like a home for third-party sellers to do what they want to do. Meaning you could also go find – you could go to like wherever, iTunes, and find objectionable material that people have posted to iTunes. Mm -hmm. And then people want to say like, well, Apple – an app would say, we're just a publisher.
7: Exactly. It's not our material. Yeah.
0: And it's like, it seems like every, if you follow the tech industry and all of its um, trouble spots and hot spots, it often like narrows down to places trying to, where possible, find some distance between their platform and the people who are living on their platform.
7: Absolutely. And
0: sometimes people buy it and sometimes they expect a little bit more.
7: Well, but I mean, if you put it, you know, from their perspective, not to like, you know, advocate for what they did. But um, I mean, they have millions of sellers on their platform. Yeah. And I mean, I can't even imagine have like how big a team they would need to have to like scrape every single listing for anything prohibited, you know, drugs, animal products, people like anything along those lines. Yeah, I
0: talked to a guy who <laughs> a who's, lot of work who I talked to a guy one time. I might screw the stat up. Maybe one of you guys can find the stat. One of you fast fingered <laughs> little fellas. Spencer. Um he worked at YouTube mm-hmm. and he was and he was part of his focus was like keeping advertisers happy about what stuff their ads are applied to. I think he's telling me that every minute Four hundred hours of content are uploaded to YouTube.
7: Like, can you imagine being in the office that's (laughs) like in charge of what is it?
0: (laughs) Five hundred as of February twenty twenty. Every minute, five hundred hours of content are uploaded to YouTube, and he's supposed to make sure there's nothing objectionable. (laughs) Holy
2: yeah, yeah. And that's why,
0: hence, when you get your stuff flagged on a social media platform, you're like, I don't really get it. Because there's so much machine learning in there now, and it's like looking for certain markers and traces, mm-hmm. and now and then it, and, you know, obviously hits something that isn't. Or
7: yep, exactly, yeah. So I mean, they definitely skipped over this particular store. And yeah, you could put did. up an
0: infomercial about Saiga horns, and it'd probably <laughs> it'd probably sit there for some number of days. <laughs> it'd be there. It'd probably be active for some number of days before someone found
3: it. You
7: Absolutely. Know? Yeah.
3: Katie, crush it with this story. Uh, it's not often we do stuff where I'm like, Vice would be jealous of this, or New York Times would be jealous of this. But mm-hmm. they, It's not often. It's not often. They wouldn't that, come that to that our website. That eagle getting that
0: house cat? <laughs> <laughs> I, I stand by my New statement. York Times, New York Times probably burned up. They didn't get it's that. It's not often <laughs> that they would be
3: really jealous. They would, in fact, be jealous of this. If you want to read it again, Major Online Retailers Act as Black Market for Endangered Animal Parts. That's Katie a saucy Hill. headline. I was
7: going to ask, what's the what's the read on that headline? That's saucy. <laughs> That's saucy, but
3: it holds up. It holds up. Well, we had to go through uh, many rounds of edits, get PR from Meat Eater involved to make sure that they were cool with it, uh, and that was where we landed. The,
0: make sure they were cool with how saucy that headline sounded.
3: Correct.
2: Huh?
3: No blowback though. A minor from the from the saucy. From the sauce
0: police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Sauce police. Saucy. <laughs> Tone down that sauciness. Well, thanks. Thank you. You should come on. Well, next time you write an article, come tell us about it.
7: I would be happy to. Thank you. Yeah.
0: You know, how about, we? you know what? We could do this, is you could write an article. Um, it could be something like, Steve's dad's dagger. <laughs> Uh, actually, isn't that interesting, or something? You know,
7: <laughs> what I could do is I could try to sell it on Amazon and see how much money I, how can I could get what, for, it. for it. Yeah,
0: my that first object kind of is fun. I want to know what off what ivory it was. It's a it's a big chunk, man.
7: I feel like you could get that figured out, though. I mean, they must be able to use. Like... Did you
0: say you'll get it figured out, or no. they?
7: <laughs> I'll do it after we're out of here. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. I'll bring it in. I'll, bring it. I'll leave it on the table Universal here for a while. Scientists.
0: Um, whether or not it's ever tasted blood, I have no idea. That could be part of the analysis. All right, Tom, you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Enjoying it. Okay, now I'm going to give the background how I know you. Because when I was a little boy, uh, not too little, no, but you were like at the forefront of making videos. Um, you used to. I feel like. I don't know if I ever saw you at one of the trappers conventions, but I definitely like your series, particularly the water trapping VHS tape, which this, what brought this whole thing out is I was just home visiting my mom over Thanksgiving and she doesn't like to get rid of anything. Um, and she's got like a display. She's got, you know, those old police monitors. Of course. Yeah. Okay. That thing was on my entire growing up, the police monitor and it goes through all those flashing lights and it like picks up. Oh, I turned it on. And, like, nothing's happening. I'm like, oh, they must have changed whatever they do. But pretty soon, there's a girl going into anaphylactic shock <laughs> on my police monitor. And, like, they still use those things. Oh, no. no one turned that thing on for, for a million years. Regardless, below it is all the old VHS tapes. And in there, I'm like, holy shit, my Tom Miranda water-trapping VHS tape, which was probably the most, like, at the time, this might be a wild statement. At the time, it had to have been one of the most... Probably the most, like, widely distributed pieces of trapping media in the country.
1: I was pretty blessed back in those days, you know. It was the right place at the right time. Uh, A lot of big-time trappers didn't like me, though, because I was taking all these uh, secrets of the trapper and Mm -hmm. putting them out there on video. Instead of bringing it to your grave. Yeah, instead of uh, actually trying to sell it... uh, uh, through my catalog, I sold it to video rental stores, and so guys could go in and rent it for a dollar. And I sold tens of thousands. I won't say any more about the sturgeon, but quite a few, quite a few of these videos. And... uh yeah, it was great. I made trapping lures and wrote books and uh, was an actual trapper. Yeah, Tom put it like it. he
0: was trapping trappers.
1: That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Well, you know, you find out after a while that the fur prices fluctuate. You know, one yeah. year raccoons are $10 and next year they're $40. And so the the year they're $10, you catch 100 and the year they're $40, you catch 10 So you really never really get ahead in the I fur industry, you. you know what I mean? But in the trapping side of it, as far as for the other trappers, if you were a good trapper and if you made good catches and you were legitimate, they would order your books, they would order your videos. And when people learned how to catch their first fox or their first raccoon or mink, they would think, wow, you know, this guy taught me how to do it. And so they would buy your products. And it basically like how you gain fans on your meat eater podcast i mean you know people like listening so they come back same thing was that you know back in the mid-80s when i did it it was i
0: thought it was like revolutionary because i i would look at all those books and i had all the books man um like bob gilsvick had that famous hardcover book that everybody in the world had national trappers association put out a book but it would be that on your videos, all of a sudden it'd be, there'd be like, it seemed like you just made them yourself, right? You're right there. You'd set up a camera, you'd have all the equipment, and you'd make a. Yeah, it was pretty much how to. Yeah. I did oh, it yourself. I like, I like step by step just it, emulated emulated what I saw.
1: That's good, because it worked, right?
0: Yeah, and I got the equipment. Like I was telling you last night, using a tile spade, having big old squirt bottles full of lure, all that kind of stuff, man. I love that stuff.
1: Well, and the long-lining principle was to cover as much ground as possible with as many sets and just keep adding new sets at the end of the day. You pull the sets at the beginning, your trap sets that are unproductive – maybe you've already caught the animals in that area or the or surplus is what we always go for. And then you move down the line and you just continue to repeat yourself to try to keep an average number of animals per day. And the whole premise of the videos was to teach a quick, effective set that you could make that would handle, especially the water trapping, a water fluctuation, because when it rains, the creeks go up and mm-hmm. you want to keep the trap working as as long as possible. So you have the maximum chance of, of taking an animal in that one set. And If you set 10 traps, if you can catch four animals out of those 10 traps within two days, that's a pretty good average, especially if you're running 200 traps or 300 traps. And a long line trapper would run traps. I mean, at one time, I had skinners that skinned my catch, so I just ran the traps all the time, and then guys skinned them for me. You hired your own skinners? Yeah, absolutely. That's how you make money. Really? Absolutely.
0: Seth used to be—he used to skin for a fur buyer. That's 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 a hard way to make money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what was, the was deal you, what was
0: your deal you'd strike with your own skinners? Well, you paid
1: them by the piece. You know, you paid them by the piece. But so. they had to
0: do it to your specs, though. Obviously.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we had we would wash the pelts, we would skin them, we would dry them, and then then dry them and then tumble them, and you know, we basically they were the spotless best pelts they could be because you're always going to get the best price for the more prime furs, but the, always the put-up furs. You know, the, there's some things you can control and some things you can't control. If you catch one that's half prime, you can't control that. But if you put it up right, you know, it's all about presentation. You know, I knew you, um, when I when I became aware
0: of you, I, I associated you very strongly with South Dakota. Um, Chamberlain, South Dakota. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't even realize till later you were born in Columbus, Ohio. I was, yeah. Were you born in a good... Um, like was was your uh were your parents into the outdoors and
1: no um my dad deer hunted once in a while but uh-huh. he worked he he worked for western electric my mom was a stay-at-home mom i lived in the suburbs but there was a there was a railroad track near my house and uh, a river system that went by it was called the big walnut creek and so um how I actually got into trapping wasn't from any of my family. Uh, it was a next-door neighbor. I saw him walking down. He was four or five years older than me. I saw him walking down the railroad tracks with a basket on his back. And I was 11 years old, so I followed him, uh, you know, secretly to see what he was doing. And he was had hip waders on, and he was going along the creek, and he was setting muskrat and raccoon traps. Oh, really? So eventually, um, we talked, and eventually I was carrying his pack basket and, you know, doing the hard work for him and just learning. And uh, eventually, he got a girlfriend, and I got the trap line. Hmm, and that's how it worked. Hmm. The blank, <laughs> poor get, guy. Blank, and he get. <laughs> I always <laughs> make
0: that fatal mistake. I don't know why. Uh, at that time, were you? Um, what was your introduction to Bohun?
1: Well, I mean, uh, everybody w- was buying these recurve bows of Fred Bear back in, you know, the, the late 60s. And, you know, this was 1969 when I started trapping. And, of course, I had to have one, you know, and shoot in the backyard. But that was mostly archery. Was that kind
0: of like, was it was it then with him and the outdoor world, was it kind of like
1: a hip thing? It was a hip thing, you know. It oh, was, it was a little bit of a fad and... kind of a thing, you really? know, back then, of course. Yeah, you know, he was promoting it. And he was, at the time, Bear was doing a lot of these of videos or films that he did, and then he would travel around to different gymnasiums and places where he'd play his films and talk about bow hunting, and that was the really the, when when the Fred Bear Company got really big and really bow hunting really took off.
0: Were guys that were at that time when people were getting into archery, you know, it was new. Like like state, a lot of states didn't have dedicated archery seasons like they do now. Um, was it were people into trick shooting or were you like training to hunt big game?
1: At the time, I was young, so I was just enjoying the sport you know the Mm. the 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 feel of the bow the flight of the arrow you know hitting at a target you know i didn't never really went bow hunting till i was in my early 20s you know i mean because i was a trapper and trapping season is a full-time job you know you've got to run your traps every day you got to skin your catch so you really don't have a lot of time to actually hunt how did it want uh
0: how did it wind up you became so entrenched in uh south dakota and then with that Tell people about becoming a government trapper and what that all meant.
1: Yeah, well, um, in the early 80s, I saw an ad in the Furfish Game magazine in the back of uh, for a guy's name was O'Don Kaur. He lived in Miller, South Dakota, and he gave trapping lessons. And at the time, I was really thirsting for information on all the animals, on all the trapping I had never been out west and trapped. Was, I was thinking South Dakota. There was a book out at the time uh, by Gerald Wheeland called uh, "Longliner Fox Trapping," "Longliner Fox Trapping Long "Longliner Long Coyote Trapping," "Longliner Mink Trapping." So this guy Do you remember that one, of, Seth?
2: Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, that absolutely. Yeah, I
1: remember the name. Very, very uh, accomplished trapper. Well. <laughs> I ended up taking lessons from Odon Core in Miller, South Dakota. I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a real lot. And the main thing I learned was that there was no secret to it. It was just all hard work. It was just repeat. You know, it's like a Xerox, you know, like a copy machine. Find whatever location works, whatever set works, and whatever area works and repeat that over and over and over and over again. And that's how you're successful. That's what he taught me. Um, Over time, I realized, though, that the... There was not it was not going to be I was not going to really be able to make a full good living and be as successful as a a person that I could be by just being a trapper. And so um, I had heard of a possible job as a government trapper in South Dakota. And I went there and applied and I got the job. But at the time, I was making my own trapping lures and um, I hadn't started writing books yet or any of that. But um, I was on the cusp of starting my entrepreneurship as a trapper. So what's the job description? Of a government trapper? Yeah. And what was the job title? Yeah, I mean, I was an ADC specialist, so animal damage control specialist for the state of South Dakota. I got a state pickup truck, I had an office, I had a secretary, they gave me a <laughs> bunch of traps, and I had 10 counties that I had to trap in. And so anybody that called, if there's a skunk under your porch, a beaver dam in a culvert, a coyote killing your sheep, Uh, Any of that I had to go address and 10 counties in South Dakota and they're big counties like Montana, you know, I mean, it's like a big, big area. And so I was driving 10, 12 hours a day answering all these questions. And that's when I decided that I was going to learn how to fly and do this from the air. In the 80s, (laughs) in that area, were you encountering any mountain lions or not yet? No, nah, there were more out in the Black Hills. You know, I mean, we had some on some of the drainages, but we, we weren't—I wasn't being called in on any of those types of calls. Not where I was at. Chamberlain's on the East River of uh, of the Missouri River, right at I ninety. So um, it's kind of in South Central South Dakota, and all my counties that I was responsible for were East River. We talked about this a little bit last night. Um, <clears throat> someone,
0: a, a, a guy that raises sheep. He goes out, and there's a dead one laying there, and his mind right away is, coyotes! Okay. Call Tom Miranda. He'll come and give me a
1: receipt. (laughs) So,
0: but literally, like, your phone rings, or your secretary's phone rings. That's right. And then it's up to you to, at some point in time, over a 10-county range,
1: go out and... See what's up. Absolutely. Yeah, go find out if it was really animal damage, you know. did it? Was it really a coyote? Did this thing just die and a coyote or a fox eat on it later? So, you know, you're looking for throat, you know, puncture wounds in the throat. You're looking for how this thing died. Was it drug, you know, while it was still alive, you know, et cetera. You know, what's the fence look like in the area? Does the guy have any guard dogs? You know what? What's the scenario? How many empty sweaters are in the pasture? You know, I mean, you're looking for all those things. Empty
0: sweaters is uh ADC lingo for dead sheep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, what, yeah. like a little pile of wool.
0: <laughs> right,
4: yeah. Tom, what would you do with the animals that you caught? Like, were you able to skin and sell them? Or
1: um, when we took vacation, we were allowed to sell them but i always caught and skinned my animals and um yeah it made me a little bit of an enemy of some of the people that worked in the system with me because i was I came from the fur trapping part of it when I got the job, and to me, it was a waste if I didn't. Even if they were, you know, mangy or whatever. Not mangy, but, you know. He said he pelted
0: out coyotes in August.
1: Yeah, you know, (laughs) just because uh, that's what I did. Yeah, you have
4: a hard time just throwing them in the ditch. Yeah, and you
1: end up with, uh, you know, I was ending up with, uh, you know, quite a high number of animals that I was turning into the state, and a lot of the other trappers were just leaving them lay, you know, and they're like, you know, giving me a call and saying, hey, man, you know, like you're making us look bad. Let's just cool your jets on this stuff. Because I was a new guy, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, was new, I was a new new, guy in town. So anyways, I, I learned over a course of time that, you know, there is a little bit of a protocol, you know, that you needed to, to do. And I just was trying to do my best, you yeah. know, like I tell everybody, you know, I'm not the best bow hunter. I'm not the best trapper. I'm not the best writer. I'm not the best anything, but I'll outwork anybody. And that was the whole key to it. I just worked until I, I, I was successful. There's a gr- there's a great quote by a writer. His name was like Apple R W Apple. You remember him?
0: He uh, he has a quote where he said, "I can write faster than anyone can write better. I can write faster than anyone who can write better than me, and I can write better than anyone who can write faster than me." <laughs> that's true. That's good,
2: that's yeah. good position <laughs> come, to be
0: in. <laughs> that's a good way
3: to
1: make it full circle.
3: <laughs> I grew up two hours from Chamberlain, and I feel like a lot of the ranchers and, and farmers that I know in that area. Now, in 2022, if they were contacting a wildlife damage specialist, it would be because of a bunch of geese um, mm. that are really causing havoc on their beans or corn or whatever. Did you deal with a lot of geese in your day there?
1: I didn't. Uh, there was some concern, mostly north of where I lived. The, the trapper that was north in Gettysburg, you uh-huh. know, north of pier, they had a little bit more of a goose problem than what we really did in my area. The the As you get farther south, there's only four or five landowners that you know really along my side that controlled that land that was right along the Missouri River and there's a lot of state land along there too that um, like you know public hunting land and things like that that the state didn't want controlled in any of that anyway so yeah we didn't ha- I didn't have that but I mean we did blackbird stuff I mean yeah mm. we did a little bit of everything you know the red wing blackbird stuff was always a hassle. You know? what, what as we, a crop crop damage yeah 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 we used cannons to scare the what, red wing away. blackbirds yeah well I associate them with just hanging out in cattail marshes what, what would get them in trouble? Just too many of them around, you know. They'd all be, you know, there'd be tens of thousands in flocks, you know, flying around and stuff. So, but doing what to da- what, damaging what? Well, I mean, this just didn't want them around. I guess, you know, I mean, were, probably eating. Like in yeah, they
4: just in uh, New Jersey. This uh, I used to do some work for a sweet corn farmer, and he had cannons, and it was yeah, blackbirds were. But red wings, I don't. Well, remember some what... of
1: these could have been starlings. But yeah, they, the, the one, yeah, yeah. yeah,
4: the ones he had problems with was were starlings. Got it. But yeah, they just can't scare the shit out of you because you didn't. They'd like they go just off shoot them so just often. to
0: scare
3: the
4: birds. Yeah. They're yeah, like propane sure. cannons. Yeah. What
3: yeah. were some of the oddball critters that you dealt with? Like, for example, the only civ cat I've ever seen in my life was around Chamberlain. Did you encounter any really rare stuff like that? Oh, yeah. A I what? did. Lots of civet, civ civet cat. Cat. Yeah, like Civet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're um like a spotted skunk, yeah. a little tiny thing. And, uh, yeah, they go everywhere, in the attics and under houses and... Really, it's a it's a unique skunk smell. You know, it's not the same as the striped skunk smell. It's unique. It's a little sweeter, actually. Um, Of course, when you're a trapper and you make trapping scent, it smelled like money to me. But to the the people that you know, to the people that uh, that that had a problem with them, it was you know, and you had to be careful because you couldn't, uh, you know, if you scared them, they'd spray. And I mean, it didn't. The smell lasted for a long, long time. So then you have an
0: unhappy customer. Yeah, or not a customer, but
1: yeah. And back in those days, I um, I used a product called uh, that was a Skunk's Unlimited, and basically it was it was a pole with a syringe on the end, and we put acetone in the syringe. Yep. We would talk to the skunk and then press that needle into its side and inject it with acetone, and it would just die. So if he's up, be, an attic, spray, like up know, in an attic spray. or something, that's how you'd— Yeah, because you couldn't really throw—you know, you'd try to throw a blanket over or something and then try to carry the live trap out where the animal wouldn't know. But skunks are just—some of them are quick with the trigger finger if you know what i mean yeah for sure <laughs> hey what percentage
0: of uh w- when people call and they're like a coyote killed my sheep uh what
1: percentage were actually killed by coyotes i'd say when i was there and i was working it, i'd say under 30 percent. i'd say uh, maybe even 20 percent. most of them died of something else mm-hmm. you know I'm, now i'm not saying that they weren't run by coyotes you know but, but and run into a fence or whatever, you know, running them around, ch- chasing them around. But actually, throat marks killed and eaten. And normally, when when there was actual predation, it was mostly in the spring after the the female had had the pups, and it was the females that were doing the killing, not the males.
0: Yeah, tell people about that little system you'd use with the putting oh. the sheep in an enclosure and playing a
1: tape. And yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when when we had a bonafide, especially in the spring when we had a fide kill, coyote kill, we would, I would try to get the landowner to bring his sheep as close to the barn as possible, yard them up, as, uh, if you will, and then I would use a radio in the, in the corral or whatever at night. keep the coyotes from coming in on the sheep and then i would patrol the periphery the outside edge because that's what the coyotes would do and that's where i would put all my traps and sets it's very difficult to know if you've shot if you've caught or shot the right coyote you know how how do you know which one is the coyote that actually did the damage um so that's that and so you might catch in some areas you might catch 10 or 12 coyotes on that outside of that fence you know and you're just you're just figuring that one of those was probably and you know normally when you check them when you catch them it's the female you know if you open up her stomach and you see some wool in there who knows if she was so eating on a dead one So she's
0: raising pups in a den she gets where she gets herself in trouble Yeah exactly Yeah Yeah Uh tell these guys the story of when you uh went to see Jimmy Houston <laughs> yeah. for career advice <laughs> Yeah yeah
1: yeah no doubt so so, yeah, part of my claim to fame is having a TV show on ESPN for almost 20 years. And so how it basically started was I was a trapper at the time, and I was getting a lot of animal activist calls. People were calling calling me a killer, and uh, the PETA group put me on the top 10 list of evil people for wildlife because I had sold so many of these How to Trap videos. I mean, these VHS videos were just everywhere. And so – I decided that, you know, I'm going to do a TV show on trapping. I mean, that, that's got to be a way to get the word out that trappers are, you know, really conservation minded and really helping the all the nesting birds and all the things that we do. You know, there's there's really a, a, a specific purpose for a trapper. Uh, so anyways, um, I decided to go see Jimmy Houston because he had a TV show uh, on ESPN and I thought if I'm gonna get my word out, that's where I need to be And so I went down to Oklahoma to a sports show stood in line wait to get Jimmy Houston's <laughs> autograph Yeah, I'm 22 years old. Or oh, whatever. you were young. Yeah, I was young. Yeah Anyways, so I get I get Jimmy Houston oh, real autograph. quick. How, how old were you when you did the government? trapping job yeah yeah 24 i'm i meant to say 32 oh, so i all... meant to say 32 not 22
0: okay th- okay. Yeah, 32 I was so 32. you were you were already like big time into the trapping. i was all through at, the, at this i point.
1: was at the end of the trap and just about I yeah got you. yeah and this is roughly what year 32 so yeah it was 1989 okay yeah so i get out and see jimmy houston get in line and i tell him and i finally get up there to sign my hat i said jimmy i said um I want to do a TV show on trapping. What do you think? You know, your so, show's so popular. He goes, ugh, he rolls his eyes. He goes, no, he's going to watch. He goes, you're never going to get any sponsors for that. He goes, you'll never get a network to take a trapping show. You know, he goes, that's barbaric. And I said, no, 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 that's the point. That's why I want to do it. It's not barbaric. You know, we use we used, uh, traps that have gaps between the jaws. We, we, we're conservationists. And he goes, you know, he goes, do you do anything else in the outdoors? And I said, I like bow hunting. You know, I like cheating a bow. He goes, there you go. <laughs> because that's what you need to do, and so that's when I decided to start, you know, actively. Just going based after. off that, yeah, based off of that. And in fact, that same year I went bear hunting in Saskatchewan and made my very first uh, hunting video. It was called Big Timber Bears, a Saskatchewan bow hunting adventure. It was in 1989. Who did you hire to shoot it? To film it, uh, a guy that worked for me just went up there and filmed it for me.
0: Yeah. So you took your like your VHS instructional know-how. And started producing what might be more. Well, well, did you view that, like that first bear hunting thing, did you view it as entertainment or how-to?
1: Entertainment. So you like
0: transition because the trapping stuff is. Yeah. The trapping stuff is meant for an audience of people that are like, I want to learn how to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, my TV shows now are based around how-to, you know. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's it's about an adventure. And that's what the, the Big Timber Bears was. I mean, and when I eventually did get on ESPN in 1992, actually I was on Sports Channel America in 1990 and 1991. And when I did get on ESPN in 92, the show was called Outdoor Adventure Magazine. and it was hunting, fishing, and adventure. So it was a magazine format show. And, um, you know, ESPN called me the crazy bow hunter that do anything once because I did bungee jumping, skydiving, rock climbing. I flew many different types of, types of airplanes. I... Uh, but I also hunted with a bow, and I also did fishing. So it was um, – and we, and we were a very highly rated show for five or six years. Yeah, yeah, ESPN
0: was like where you went. In those years, ESPN was where you went for outdoor programs. Absolutely.
1: It was on Sundays, right? Uh, Saturday mornings. Saturday yeah, mornings. Yeah, Saturday morning, And then eventually went to ESPN, too, and that was on Saturdays and Sundays.
0: Yeah. When you were doing ESPN, was it um, – was were you doing a commissioned show for them, or did you have to go find all the financing on your own through sponsors?
1: No, it was a hundred percent financed by me, totally. Yeah, we I didn't do it. they didn't. It wasn't like the, the History Channel and some of the stuff that's done today. Yeah, yeah, we had to buy our airtime first. You had to get approved. Yeah. You, know, you had to be a approved producer then they had to have a time slot available and then you had to tie that time slot up and they were very very focused on ratings ratings were everything to them that's if how you kept your time yeah, slot. you know otherwise you you were out and there were so many other shows that wanted to be a part of that there was only eight shows on a Saturday morning so eight
0: it, even though it was time even though you were buying the slot of time and had to and had to finance it through your own sponsorships and advertisers absolutely
1: it was competitive to hold it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not like it is today, you know, with Outdoor Channel or Sportsman or whatever, you just buy a slot and you can put anything on there. I mean, they had specific, I mean, we weren't even allowed to mention, you know, Realtree or whatever sponsor we had. We could show logos and labels. But there was no gratuitous advertising. Got it. So it was really, very, very, a, strict, a very, very strict. different landscape, man. And, you know, those shows were some of the best outdoor shows that were ever done. If somebody ever really wanted to go back and look at, you know, what they had at the time. I mean, if you look at Fly Fishing the World and, and uh, what, Walker's K Chronicles oh, some of those oh, other yeah. shows. You know, there were some really top-end shows. I mean, they were really the eight best shows. That there that were produced at that in that era, pretty much. And there were a few shows that cycled through the mm. Wayne Pearson show cycled through, and oh, there's a few other guys, Charlie West, and there was a few other shows that cycled through the where they were on for a season or two or three, then they were out, and the n- new shows came in. They always were trying to get new blood, but there was a staple or a stable of, of producers that they went to and and used, and it was a very exciting time for me because it was real. It was. I mean, I, I say that I went from Little League to Big League, you know, because I basically wasn't a TV guy at all. And within two years, I was on the number one place that you could ever be for an outdoor show, you know. And
0: you you learned to edit your own stuff.
1: Yeah, I edit my own stuff. Yeah, so it's a—yeah, I mean, a trapper. I mean, I'm a trapper, so you do it all yourself. You know, you just learn that—and I knew that I would put the right amount of work into it. Now, I hired guys to edit other shows, and I learned a lot of computer— Editing and things from them, the techniques of how to use the computers. I mean, I edited AB Roll. All the ESPN stuff was pretty much AB Roll till maybe the last three or four years when we went to the AVIDs and the other types of nonlinear editing. Pretty much everything was, you know, on the one-inch tape or, you know, digital beta cam uh, type of stuff. So we were shooting on tape, editing on tape. So hmm. a did Did
3: ESPN show kill shots all the way until the
1: end of 2010? They did till the end, but at the very beginning, they didn't. In really? fact, they, we had to cut away... From the kill shots, um, which I com- complained about immediately after I got on there, which I had no credibility with them because I was new and I had no, you know, didn't have any pull whatsoever. But we fought it for a couple of years, and finally they allowed me to use a bow and show the impact if the arrow would go all the way through the animal. And so I started shooting 85-pound bow, heavy <laughs> arrows, because <laughs> so I wanted the arrow to go all the way through. Are you serious? You changed uh, your yeah, gear up? I, I had to because I wanted vindication, man. I mean, you know, it's like you can't take the kill shot away. I mean, that's what everybody wants to see. I,
5: I always remember that if you shooting— explaining in some of your videos when I used to watch them that you're just shooting like super heavy bow I actually got found out about you in my Christmas stocking very cool one year <laughs> I, I got a DVD of your very My cool. mom got me which DVD one was it? Yours, I think it was DVD? The, yeah not VHS? no see these young it was, people it was, <laughs> young people these days hating yeah. <laughs> they don't it understand like, <laughs> I don't remember they I feel don't like know it was like been. territories wild oh, or something. oh yeah, I remember that yeah.
1: one yeah so, you said used to, you still should be watching my DVDs. <laughs>
5: I, oh, I do, I do still.
2: It's <laughs> not a DVD form anymore.
0: <laughs> Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, a, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So, you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So, you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast, nothing shifts. And, like I said, they're, they're D rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck, it doesn't catch on the D rings. The D rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited Photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply get incredible deals on premium cuts from butcher box do you like free protein for a whole year well deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store i at home well i got two freezers but you know what i'm saying i like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff i like feeling prepared man when i come home and it's time to make dinner i like to go in and i got all my proteins lined up in there just makes me feel good about stuff and with butcher box you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety. A high quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member too. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash meat eater and get our special deal. Butcherbox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free. And every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order.
6: To that point, man, it's like super interesting how these like two groups of folks know you You have like the folks that know you as, you know, the, 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 the trapping how to dude. And then you have folks like me and Chester who know you as like like a proto Remy Warren kind of like like just the adventure bow hunter. You know Well I knew him
5: as Trapper too. Did you? Yeah. Oh you did? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. well,
6: you do more trapping than I do, man. You're better outdoors <laughs> than me. <laughs> yeah. More, more well rounded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, would do you like identify like at this point as like you know, a, a trapper who did this bow hunting thing in order to make, uh, like, his content more available for people? Or do you find yourself identifying, like, a lot as, like, that bow hunter now?
1: Well, I mean, I identify as both only because I guess I can. Um, to me, the, real, the reality of it was... When I was growing up as a kid, my parents allowed me a huge latitude. When I was 11 years old, I could go out at three thirty, four 4 o'clock in the morning and run my trapline by myself with a pair of hip waders down a river that might have been flooded out from rain or snow or whatever. And when I had homework, my mom would still let me skim my catch. You know, it wasn't the home that the school wasn't as important as what I was learning outdoors. My parents gave me this latitude that eventually allowed me after high school to go to Michigan. You know, like I tell everybody, I bought my first Jeep CJ with trapping money. I bought my first property with trapping money. I built my first cabin with trapping money. I bought my first airplane with trapping money. That's what I was enjoying and doing. But my dad, when he raised me, he talked to me about being always being the best. You know, you got to make your bed every morning. You got to be the best that you can be at what you're doing. And when I switched, it was very difficult. I was at the top of my game as a trapper, but when I re- I realized that I needed to do something to keep trapping around, and I was going to have a larger audience if I could get on TV and tell people about it, even though I couldn't do a trapping show, I could do a bow hunting show, and I could I could promote that way uh, for trapping and for for the industry as well as for wildlife and conservation. And so that's what I did, and I did it the best I could. Yeah. You,
0: you never felt like you were slumming it
1: as a bow hunter. Absolutely not, because I, I ran with the adventure thing, you know. It's like uh, it's like the what I always say to everybody. It's like I want to go hunt – go somewhere I've never been and hunt an animal I've never seen, you mm-hmm. know. Except I don't want to hunt that crazy antelope you're talking about. <laughs> no, no, no,
0: no. <laughs> Get your cycle horns at TomRanty.com. <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: but, yeah, so that's the – you know, so that's what I did. And so that's how the Super Slam all came about because I just started – you know, one animal at a time. Of course, Chuck Adams, the first bow hunter to take the, the 27 at the time, North American big game animals was a guest on my show, TV show on ESPN for a couple of years. He had a sponsor that also sponsored my show. And so he wanted, would, he would
0: come on the show. He would come
1: on the show and he did tips on the show and I got to know yeah. him and I can remember interviewing him and talking with him about some of his hunts. And I was like, I'll, you know, I'll never do a, a, a grizzly bear, you know, yeah. dude, I grew up or reading or Chuck anything. Adams articles, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, but one thing led to another and you know, you have, you know, every year you've got a quota of shows you got to do and every year you'd get one, two, three more species. And there was just a point in time when I started looking back and thinking, wow, you know, I got, you know, I got 12, you know, there's, there's, st-. at the time when I started, there was only 20 to actually go for the slam. There was still only 27 and then there was 28 and then eventually 29. Yeah. What did they add? Caribou? They added the, the central Canadian bear ground, Caribou first and i'd be guessing at the date but i think it was it might have been in the late 90s so that might have been 28 when i started but then the the, the last one was the tuli elk i think that was 2008 when they added that one do you see them 29. adding any more anytime soon, or do you think it's well? They're dropping off, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. like the you can't hunt the the Quebec Labrador caribou, which is one of the five caribou subspecies right now. Just because their so numbers the, are so down, yeah. And yeah. you know, caribou are cyclic by nature, but you know, I can remember hunting in Alaska for the the barren ground caribou and 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 hunting the mulchatna herd. There's four hundred thousand animals in the mulchatna herd. You know, uh, there's probably not even ten thousand animals in the mulchatna herd now. I mean, it's basically disappeared. So I mean. These caribou are cyclic uh, creatures, you know, and one of the things I would add to what we were talking about, about the Cites and the Sagahorns and all that is, uh, you know, I think a really good article would be Uh-oh. about the political side of Cites, because the reality is um, there's a lot of political influence. If you know, uh, there's a lot of people that are pseudoscientists or biologists that have uh, more political motives about what animals are hunted and what animals aren't, and maybe they have a political motive that maybe no animals should be hunted. Take the polar bear, for example, in North America. They're on the threatened list of CITES, so we cannot import polar bears into, North America, into the United States, but we can hunt polar bears. You can go to to canada and hunt polar bears but that you can't import them into the united states what's what that does yeah, can't,
0: can't you hunt them in like the in canada, the yeah. in the auto like the the, the, Arctic? the yeah. inuit what's that called they're none of it
1: none of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah like they kind of have
0: their own autonomous zone and they run wildlife well, regulations you can, hunt
1: them, you can hunt them anywhere in canada or other countries that border that have polar bear populations i think except alaska but um you can't import them into the U.S. Well, the U.S. hunters are the most uh, prolific hunters in traveling and hunting. And if you look at just the, the they were put on the, the polar bears were put on the threatened list because of the uh, supposedly global warming was thinning out the ice sheet and they were having less habitat because they hunt seals on the ice. Yeah, yada yada. But, yeah, it's speculative. Exactly, like polar
0: bear numbers are currently strong, but it's speculative that they'll they'll, they'll Exza- crash. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You know, so there's somewhat of a political motive behind it. It's not science, you know. Now and now, there's taxidermy shops that have come out with um, with imitation uh, polar bear mounts. You know, rip uh, like a replica. So you can actually buy a replica polar bear mount. So you can go to Canada, shoot a polar bear, and have a rec- replica mount in your trophy room. Where what do you leave remember? Where do you
0: leave the bear while you can't get it into the U.S.
1: Well, it can stay in Canada, so a lot of them get them tanned as rugs and give them to people, or a lot of them get them mounted anyway, and they put them in stores or places like that. And they're or, like, they have... someday I'm going to come get my thing. Well, I don't know if that will ever happen. That's a problem, you know. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever be able to bring them in. If they were shot, the thing is, is like when I shot my polar bear, it was the last year before the, the thing went on, and I shot mine in 2007. They, uh... With your bow, With obviously. my bow, yeah, yeah, all my animals with the bow. So, um, the th- the thing was is uh, mine was one of the last ones back that I had so I had the real polar bear in my in my uh, trophy room but you know it just suppresses the the amount of money that the Inuit peoples can make I mean this polar bears. It costs, well, the, the my polar bear hunt costs 27500 It costs 6000 for the flights to go. And then plus you're tipping your guide and you're spending money as you're there. I mean, this, these Inuit communities are totally dependent on the Canadian government for money unless there's this influx of capital from these people that will come and hunt or fish or, yeah. or this and that. So, you know, they've lost a lot of income over the fact that, you know, you can't bring them back. A lot of guys don't hunt. It's easy to get a polar bear. I was on a four-year waiting list before I got to hunt mine. So there were people that wanted to go up there, but there still was limited amount of tags. Got
0: it. I think when you talk about the cites thing, I mean, you bring up a valid point because you you have these things like the Endangered Species Act, right? Which I completely support and it's done a lot of tremendous work. Cites done a lot of great work. It's like inspired by like an honest need, but I do find and we report on it all the time. Inevitably, you have cases. Um, which, in, in my mind, weaken those structures because you have people who learn how to manipulate them politically. Um, they want one thing, and they talk about another thing. And so, like, we've covered endlessly here, is, like, grizzly bear delisting, wolf delisting, right? Um, it's you had species go on the Endangered Species Act as threatened. They hit recovery, but people, some people just cannot stomach the idea that someone would go hunt them. So they don't want to debate whether they've recovered. They want to debate these like obscure um, legal issues, right? With And if you ha- heard their private conversations, no doubt their private conversations are, I just don't want this. Like, I don't want anybody to hunt them. I don't care how many there are. And they'd be saying the same thing if there were a million of them. They're For just sure. never going to like, they're not going to give up that point. They're never going to say what they actually think. And they're always going to say something that they don't think because it allows them to advance what they do, and then it creates all. Then it creates people like me, people like you, who then um, wind up feeling like a little bit like you're being sold a bill of goods. Then you become suspicious about the whole damn structure. Absolutely. Which is like I always try to prevent myself from falling into the trap of being coming like suspicious of ESA, suspicious suspicious of the act. I think the act was a needed thing. I don't like it when it gets manipulated.
1: Absolutely. You know, and the thing is, is, uh, to me, it's uh, another prime example of what happens that people don't realize is the the hiding behind the science thing is like in Africa, for example, I do a lot of hunting in Africa, been many times to Africa. Uh, there, There are groups and organizations that do scientific research, like on leopards, for example, which is very nocturnal and sneaky animal, not very rarely seen in the wild in the daylight. But they'll set up trail cameras in these areas that are flash cameras. And once a leopard's got take, gots a picture taken once with a flash camera, he's never going to walk by that camera ever, ever again. And so these people over the course of so many months will say, well, we only got, you know, there should be in this area... 50 leopards, but we only have pictures of three. So the populations are really going down, where in reality, these are some of the places where I hunt and where we hunt leopards. And we know, we have pictures of hundreds of different leopards in the same area, but there's the science, the people, the hunters have an agenda. To them, we have an agenda. To these people, we have an agenda. We want to say there's more than enough to hunt, where they want to say there's less than enough. So what is the real number? It's
0: probably fair to say you both have a substantial bias.
1: Uh, muscle menos. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Come on, uh walk me through cuz like following your career is like following um to look at your the history of your career is like looking at the history of media. You know, particularly like a, a focus on outdoor media, but just like media in general. Um Eventually, ESPN moves on, right? Because the ESPN we know today, which is (laughs) intensive like professional sports, right? Absolutely. So, what happened to you then? Like, how did you continue to always adapt to be one step ahead, you know?
1: Well, when ESPN was purchased by the Walt Disney Company, they started to change their values and things. And they decided at a point in time, not that they were so much anti-hunting, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, I won't say either way. um, They decided to go back to a stick and ball network, which is what they were founded on originally. So like you say, they went back to like a total sports network. And so, yeah, for the guys, I mean, I made it all the way to the very end. In fact, um, when they decided to break, break up and take the outdoors away, I had signed a five-year contract, and I, I still had two years left in my contract, so they couldn't actually get totally rid of the outdoors and there were there were three or four of us that had longer term agreements with the network and so. they didn't just buy out no they they let us run all the way to the end and you know part of it too was part of it too that that, that demise the ESPN model was the fact that soccer became more and more and more popular and at at, at seven o'clock in the morning, in our country, it's six or it's one o'clock in the afternoon in London or over in Europe when the soccer games are going on. Yeah. So they could make a lot more money on a soccer game because of the tennis shoe sales and the commercials and all the things they could do. Then, you know, so the soccer games would run in the mornings instead of the outdoor shows. And you were trying to watch that game? Us. Uh, negative Ghost holy runner. shit <laughs> yeah. man that's a hard game to watch on TV man <laughs> except when they, they say need Go! to shrink they need to shrink that whole area
0: way down and the other problem with watching it is how many Hail Marys they do like it'll just start getting interesting and one of them will kick the ball way the hell down the other end he do not have any idea who's going to get it it's like oh, man <laughs> They don't. It's just they just. It's like it's like oh, it's getting too exciting. You gotta clear it. Viewers are paying attention. They just like kick it way back down. Oh my god! I those played guys soccer, drive me Steve. Nuts, man, I'm sure. You, well, it's great. <laughs> so, so
4: if, if anyone who works uh, for the most uh, popular sport in the world wants to take some tips from Steve Rannella, <laughs> there you go. Really?
0: <laughs> hey, they do. Listen, I know. I can't think of specific examples. Sure. I know where they have changed rules. To make a better viewing experience, can anybody back me up on this? There's, there's I, I can't think of them, but I've heard of it. That sports, like the NFL or whatever, oh yeah, will, fo- will,
4: football's made some changes. They'll like, change the rules the, to make it better. They've to watch. changed like the length for the extra kick
0: and and, and stuff like yeah, that. So the soccer point. they should make a rule. You can't just hail Marriott it down to the other end of the field right when things are getting interesting.
1: Either that or tie one That's arm all? behind the back of the goalie. That would work. What's that? Tie one arm behind the back of the goalie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's more points. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Yeah, just a little side note. We'll leave that in, Phil. Um. So when that collapsed, what? But like at the same time, that I don't want to say collapsed, but then like Outdoor Channel was like right, like filled the filled the
1: yeah well and at the time there was a network called versus you know which which eventually changed its name to i don't even remember nbc sports uh, i think it was there oh i didn't know that's what
0: i didn't know that's what versus did yeah yeah
1: but uh, did you do anything there Well, yeah well what happened was is i had sponsors that had longer term agreements than my my network agreement so
0: oh that creates a pickle for you yeah especially when you Uh know we're
1: doing you know well ESPN that I was on was 120 million households you know so it's like how do you replace those households with the outdoor channel you don't you know so i ended up doing a deal with um versus um which eventually became the mec sports network but um and and the sportsman channel what was just kind of fledgling sure, yeah. and i went to all my sports that's sponsors. where we started the sportsman channel yeah so yeah. that's what i did and and so I made a deal with Versus and a deal with the Sportsman's Channel, and I alternated shows. So basically, I would do all my f- full run of shows before the season, and I would start with show 13 on one network and show one on the other network. And that's how I a- alternated through oh, really? to air on two networks. Because, you know, that's almost taboo to have a show air on two networks at the same time. You know what I mean? Huh. That's how I did it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And you've been at, you've been distributing there for a long time. Yeah, well, I was I was there. I was on Versus, I think for three years, and and then I switched from sportsman to outdoor, and now I'm just on outdoor. How many shows you make in a year? Uh, I'm down to eight right now. I'm the king of reruns on mm-hmm. on on the on the network. I spend a lot of money producing my shows and places I go. You know because I've done all the African Big Six with archery tackle. All the I mean I'm, I'm I collect species, so I have over 170 some species right now with bow and arrow wow. and so and all filmed and so yeah so i i'll go back a few years and pick up some of the older shows and maybe add a little bit of more commentary to them and then just rerun them and so the so in first and second quarter i'll, I'll rerun some of my older shows that are really cool the better ones the cream ones and then i'll do the do the shows for the for the fall of so those how doing
3: it. 170 how many are in your house uh
1: over a hundred you know, but I've quit mounting stuff at today. Uh, I don't mount everything anymore. I've, uh, Just a lot of the that, cost or what? Well, where are you going to put them? What are you going to do with them? You know, after you, after you die, where are they going to Sell them go? on you know? uh, yeah, Katie's website. Yeah, yeah, for, <laughs> for a dollar each. Yeah. Put them on Katie's wildlife store. No, I, it's, it's not so much that. I mean, what I've been doing, it's not that they're going to waste or anything. What I've been doing is a lot of the, the, the I've become popular enough and known enough that a lot of the outfitters or the places that I go hunt. Um, they would like to have them. And so they'll take a picture of me with the animal like a hero shot and then they'll have it mounted and put it in their in their lodge and then they'll Got have it. my picture next put to it. Put a it couple in the meteor office. There, there you go. That yeah, works out good. Yeah, big fox Especially squirrel. the new one. You, the new one you guys are going to get, right? With, yeah, yeah you going to land a jet in there, right? With my, my,
0: my uh, rooftop shooting range, I should keep quiet about that. Uh, We're going to cut that one out. Do you, um... When you're... uh deal do you, do you know, like try to think of how to do you have a lot of, of the one so you have a hundred animals in yeah, your thing more or less, yeah. but do you have a lot that are that are tucked away here and there that you can't bring back home for legal reasons
1: no nah, not really I mean probably in South America you know there's a lot of animals that you shoot down there that you just can't export no matter what you know yeah. like copy borrowrows different different types of species like that well you can't bring a copy barrow home no no We're, you or come, like a
5: white-lipped peccary can you or, bring a pocket home?
1: pocket? No, I don't think so. We're, we're oh really? <laughs> oh, I've hunted some of that stuff yeah. down there. We're working yeah. on
5: that stuff right now for the for this spring. Yeah, we're going. We're, for, to we're going to go hunt.
0: Oscill- we're going to go hunt uh, oscillated
5: mm, turkeys. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I'll become a world slam holder. Good for you. Does that make you jealous? Are you a world slam turkey
1: holder? Mm, I I have five of the six. Uh-huh. Yeah. Are you going <laughs> to bow hunt? No. <laughs> Then I'm definitely not jealous. <laughs> I'm gonna become a shotgun world slam holder.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I want to bring home the tail fan. Oh yeah. I mean, most people bring the whole damn thing home and get it stuffed. Mm-hmm. That's want the tail fan. Yeah. Probably
5: the Spurs. We'll probably just eat it right down there. Probably yeah,
0: eat it there and then. But I want to. How's it looking? you looking into that, bringing that tail fan home.
5: Tail fan's looking good. Some other complications with uh, getting guns down there, though.
0: Well, because you didn't get on it quick enough
5: no oh no (laughs) it's not (laughs) definitely not it that's not true it's the it's money it's expensive
0: different than going to hunt coos deer in in sonora
5: from what i'm finding out it's really hard to get information on it steve oh so we just had to use their shotguns down there yeah because it's just a different anyways it's a different area from where you guys go
0: cuts back on the headaches just to use their
3: shotguns.
5: absolutely yeah
3: When's the last time you killed a big game critter with a gun? Ooh, that's a great question. Thank you.
1: I've shot, I've <laughs> shot, well, I've shot, I mean, I, I guess people wouldn't consider coyotes, um, you know, cause I did a lot of hunting for coyotes, but I used to host a show on ESPN called Cabela's Sportsman's Quest. And the first year that it aired in 1996, um, they wanted me that we had sponsors that wanted me to use a gun. And so I shot three species on that show. I think I, I thought I shot a elk, uh, uh, mule deer and a uh, pronghorn with a rifle. Did you like and it? And then the next, no, I told him I didn't want to do it anymore. That I that i You just don't like I, it. Yeah. Just, you know, it's not that I'm against gun hunting. I'm not, it was just not my wheelhouse. You know, I, I the bow hunting. I like to be known as the bow hunter and just, it was too easy. I mean, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, it's, it was too I, easy. No, that,
0: that's not offensive to me.
1: <laughs> well, that's a good thing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't want to get kicked out before the thing's <laughs> over <laughs>
0: yeah we still gotta do we still gotta do the trivia episode but so you just like it's just you like that like up close difficult heart pounding kind of
1: i think it, uh, bow hunting's a conscious decision to make the hunt harder than it needs to be you know at 200 yards a guy can shoot the you know or farther a lot of people got these 1200 yard shots but i mean at 200 yards is when my stock begins you know I need, and I'm not the best. You know, I'm not a Randy Ulmer or or someone who can shoot the hole out of a lifesaver at 100 yards. You know, Cameron Haynes, somebody like that. You know, I'm I'm a I'm losing my eyesight as quick as you are, from what I hear. With, <laughs> with, with all that, with all that, like that 29,
0: with that 29 archery, the super slam. Yeah, what was your average shot distance if you had to guess? 38. So you shoot a lot, of, You just like you get in there.
1: Yeah, I like. I don't like. What's know, t- a long shot t- for you? Eighty is a long shot for me. Okay. Yeah, and I And
0: that's still a poke, though, man. It's a poke. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And the the, and the, those are shot. You know, when I started doing more international hunting and more mountain hunting, you know, going after the sheep and goats and stuff like that, you've got to be able to make a longer shot, or it's just you know, especially filming it. But you know, I mean. The method to my madness was everything had to be on camera. I mean, that was the claim to fame for me. I mean, I'm the 17th archery super slammer. So I'm the 17th guy to complete the archery super slam with a bow and arrow, of course, if it's archery. But I'm the only guy to have all the kills on video. So I filmed all the hunts. And so I, my, my DVD set... The, the Venture Bowhunter Super Slam has all 29 Arrow Impacts on it. It's a three-DVD set that has all the stories behind all the 29. I had to go... Where do people find that? Uh, you can get it on my website at tomranda.com, but, I mean, it's sold at a lot of different stores. Cabela's sold it for 10 years. I don't think they carry it now, but it's because it's an older video. Mm-hmm. It was made in... I finished the Slam in 2011, and the DVD came out soon after that. What's that one called? It's called uh, Adventure Bow Hunter Super Slam. My quest for the Super Slam in North America. But it's all bundled together. It's all bundled yeah. together. Yeah, it's all three in one set. And in fact, I have, I also have Adventure Bow Hunter Dark Continent, which is the African slam, 34 species uh, hunted, including the African Big Six, which is elephant, hippo, rhino, cape buffalo, lion, and leopard, uh, plus all the other planes game. And then I have another one called World Hunts that has 44 hunts on it arrow impacts of a lot of different kinds of sheep and species and whatnot. I need two more animals to finish SCI's conservation and hunting award. It's the highest achievement that you can get in bow hunting. What are you missing? Uh, Believe it or not, uh, I turned in all my animals thinking that I was going to get it um, a year and a half, two years ago. And the SCI came back to me and said, where's your introduced animals of North America category? (laughs) And I'm like, introduced animals of North America? What are you kidding me? They go, you have to shoot 18 species in the U.S., that were introduced, and so I need. I have two I have two left to shoot. Like a, what are a, those? Like seek. There's a whole list that you can shoot. And I'm, there's two. I'm. I'm going to shoot a. Um. I think the last two. I think I'm going to shoot a, a scimitar oryx, and maybe a Psyca deer. I think those would be two cool ones to have. To be the like the Maryland ones.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got. Yeah, yeah. I got a
1: few of those with a muzzle muzzleloader. There you go. There <laughs> i he missed
0: goes. cheating again. I missed them with my bow. <laughs> uh. So have you done like a like Neil guy and
1: mm-hmm. yeah 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 really? yeah that's what I've been doing those kind of hunts and I've, how, I got how many points. introduced big game animals do they say are in the U.S. Uh, I think there's forty some on their list but as a bowhunter I only have to take eighteen so yeah cow man the counting a lot of counting well it's a lot of uh, yeah it's a lot of ticking the boxes to do those things I mean the SCI award uh, platform when I finished my twenty nine uh, the super slam the North American ones you wonder, well, what are you going to do now? You know, what what's the next on your agenda? And, you know, I had the SCI people, they called me and they said, um, we have four people that have completed the World Hunting Award ring with a bow. Um, We think you could be number five if we can come and measure your trophy room. Now, I was a life member of SCI, but I had never scored any of my animals. What do they mean, measure the trophy room? They want to come in and count my species, see what I got, you know. So they came. Two guys came from Tucson, spent two days in my trophy room on scaffolding, measuring animals that I had, looking at photos. And we basically chronicled the, the animals I had. Then they went back to Tucson. And called me a few weeks later and said, you need 36 species to finish the World Hunting Award ring. And that was my next goal. It's like, okay, I'm going to go for the World Hunting Award ring. And it took, me, it took me three years, a little over three years to get it. In 2016, I got the World Hunting Award ring. I'm the fifth guy to ever get it. And now, I have all my kills on video.
0: Let's say you weren't, there's nothing left to, ch- like, there's no sort of, like, outside validation stuff left. Right? There's no more lists or yeah. everyone on the planet dies, whatever. Yeah. Um what would you want to hunt for then? Like uh, uh, like what like what do you like besides the sort of like getting a certification of some sort like what 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 is fun to you? Or what's worthwhile to you?
1: Well I think once you've shot everything that you feel like you can, you know that 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 goal for me of, you know, going somewhere I've never been and hunting an animal I've never seen, I think once I've completed that list it's just going to go back to the basics, so I'd be whitetail hunting, you know. I mean, that's in everybody's backyard. It's something to do, you know, and it's uh, fun. And, you, the, you and like White hold, whitetails are somewhat th- some of the harder animals to get. I mean, you can look at all the other species that there are out there, and a five-and-a-half-year-old whitetail is not an easy customer, you know. I mean, really. even uh, like from a, from a global perspe- uh, absolutely. perspective. It's a good yeah. answer. Yeah. So true. Spencer <laughs> likes that answer.
2: Spencer
0: loves that. <laughs>
1: Is there any kind of archery small game thing that you're into? Uh, there hasn't been because there hasn't really been any platform for it, you know, like going out and shooting rabbits or something. I mean, guys do a lot of that kind of stuff for fun. Or, and there's a lot of different places. I mean, like if you go to New Zealand, for example, they have a list of about 20 different animals that you can hunt down there, and they include mm-hmm. a lot of the smaller stuff, possums and you know rabbits and stuff like that. Um, but for me, I, I, it's, it's been a business for me. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that my kids never really got involved, even though I took them on trips. I always had cameramen with me. We were always producing. We always had to get the kill shot. You know, I had to get the hunting shot on video. So it was more of a business for me. And so my hunting, especially my bow hunting, has never really been a sport that I took up and enjoyed and went out and hunted. It's always been a business. It's something that I had. To, I had to go out and I had to make a show about it. I,
0: so you don't do like you don't,
1: you don't just go hunting. No, no. really, isn't that crazy? But I but I collect books. You know, a lot of people think that's oh my gosh, this guy's a nerd. You know, but I, it's it's like hunting. Try to find some of these old pirate books in the castle in <laughs> London. You know what I mean? So it's like hunting to find some of this stuff, and it you know, and it's a, it's another obsession. You know, I mean, hunting for me. Uh, has been an bow hunting has been an obsession. You know, it's been an obsession to find a new species, find a new place to go get it. A lot of people, if there's any people that really complain about, you know, Tom ran this and Tom ran that, it's the fact that I don't do a lot of self guided stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I don't do a lot of, um, of you know, that type of hunting. And it's like, well, he could never shoot anything if he didn't have a guide with him. I does, mean, that, I hear does that cr- all the time? Does that criticism that. sting at all, or don't you care? Well, you know, it it it, would, it stings for me because I'm a trapper. You know, and I know exactly how to do all of it. But when you're trying to make a show, how can I go to Oregon and hunt blacktail deer thinking I know it all? I live in Florida. Do I know everything about blacktail? No. But when I'm doing a TV show about it, if I've got a good guide, a good outfitter who can talk to me, I can learn from him. And my audience can learn from him. And so that's how my shows are set up. I travel to this new place. I'm going to hunt this black Columbia blacktail deer. I'm going to learn all about them and video as many of them as I can and get one with a bow on video. And that's the premise of my shows. And so... That's the business side of it. And mm. that's why the shows, That's and I spend a lot of time and effort putting those shows together so that when pe- people will watch them again, I mean, look how many times Duck Dynasty reruns, you know? Mm. So a lot of my shows replay and um, and my ratings stay great and the, and the, the, the networks are happy. So, and, and I enjoy doing it still, which is a good thing. I think, you know, I've made my money at the end of the day. If I decided I didn't want to do it anymore, I quit.
7: Do you feel like you're removed from the experience because you feel like it's the business of it?
1: It comes back to my my father and what he taught me about work, you know. And the, It's the work ethic side of it. I enjoy it for the work ethic part of it, you know. You I
6: like,
0: mean, to I, I like to
1: work. I like to work. I'm a workaholic for sure, 100%. And that's why I take on way too much, way more work than – that's why I edit my own show. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I could turn it over to somebody else to do it. But I don't – they might do a better technical job than I would, but they won't tell a better story. And my my job is to connect with the audience of the story. So that's why I do it myself.
0: How the hell did you um uh like why rare books?
1: Well I got to did you di- just realize you had some. You know, I got to you no know, I was doing the Outdoor Adventure Magazine show. I got to dive, do some shipwreck diving and some different things. I did a lot of different scuba divings and trimix and you know, all these different types of diving and I got to dive some Spanish galleons and stuff like that. And so like I got like really interested in this stuff like these old ships and cannons on the bottom of the reef and so I started looking for books about treasure salvage and treasure hunting. And like, you know, I live in Florida, you know, we've got the treasure coast and, you know, and pirates. So, you know, there's islands nearby where I live in Florida that were thought to have been, you know, homes to pirates. And so there was one thing that led to another. And eventually I did get more and more and more into the pirate books. And then I started finding out that there were old manuscripts and old books about pirates from way back. And so I started looking for some of those. And um when you find them and it, an old book is super cool because you can smell you can smell the dampness in the pages, you know, and you can see you can see how, you know, just the, the, how the cover is and, the you know, the, the, the leather bindings of it. And it's just they're so neat to have and to hold that history and especially today where people are burning books and banning books and going to digital books and things, you know, these pieces of history, like I have a I have a Sir Francis Drake book I bought. I paid quite a bit of money for it. It's a one in five copy. It was just one that Seriously? wasn't one in five known copies of this book and I have. Man, it's, you know, the other four copies are in institutions, you know, and the, huh. this one happened to get, be for sale from a, at a castle in England that was um, wanting to sell, the, the owners were just going to sell all the books and it happened to be one that they had that I bought. So, you know, it's it's pretty cool. Do you it's read a fun. lot of those old you books? You know, I, I, some of them are so valuable I don't even – I hardly, like, look at them a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let alone touch them and go through them. But, no, I've read quite a few, and I've, I've learned a lot of history. And the more people find out that I have these books, the more people that contact me about, you know, information that's in them or photos. A lot of these old pirate books and, and ship books, shipwrecks and, uh, you know, Voyages of Discovery – They have a lot of really nice maps in them, old, old maps, you know, from the 1500s, 1600s. They have a lot of different uh, things in them that um, other people want, you know, other TV shows want. So I can take them out and, and take photos and make copies of these things that they can use. So... And um, a lot of times, you know, I buy some, you know, there's some old codgers that have been out trying to find pirates and different things, and their family will contact me and I'll buy their old manuscripts where they've been out looking for the pirate and digging and finding graves of pirates and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm building some material to maybe someday have a really cool book about the whole era of it and about the collecting side of it. What's
4: What's your most valuable book?
1: Hmm. And where is it located? <laughs> well, I have, I have, a, yeah, yeah, I have a, um, I have a first edition Buccaneers of America. It's in Dutch, and it was written in 1678. It's not nearly wow. my oldest book, but yeah. it's a very, very difficult copy, and it's in an original binding. And so, huh. yeah, it's um. What's something like that worth? Yeah, it's um, I, yeah, I, I, you know, you know, I'll tell you, it's more than a couple, three uh, uh, polar bear huts. Let's just go <laughs> with that. We uh, do you, do you read Dutch? No, no, I don't read Dutch. <laughs> no. But, you know, part of being a, uh, you know, that's part of the obsession part of me, you know. So I have to have the first edition in Spanish. I have to have the first edition in French. I have to first have the first edition in
5: English. I heard you say mas o menos. Do uh, you speak Spanish? Uh, poquito. Yeah, poquito. <laughs> he knows the basics.
1: <laughs> that's right. Uh,
0: you've also um, probably written um, your Master Trapper's book. It's probably the most exhaustive thing to read? <laughs> no. The most exhaustive thing on trapping in America that I know about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so those I are... mean
0: it's from the mountain men to the modern day like longliner dudes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Dude, I sit like I love that thing. I sit like when I when I'm going to bed at night, I'll lay there and put my uh, my new spectacles on and I'll just start like I don't even read it front to back. I just skim through it and read all kinds of junk. Look for people I figure must be in there, and then there they are, you know, I, the guys I grew up reading and stuff. It's a, it's a, it's like, it's a I don't know, it's a huge book called Master Trappers, and it's profiles. Well, it's like profiles on eras, Hudson Bay Company, yeah. the Mountain Man era. But as you progress, it's profiles on just like every notable trapper, and then not every, but many of the notable trappers, all elements of the business animal damage control, government stuff, interspersed with Tom's, like, evolution, schoolboy trapper, professional trapper, airborne trapper, on into phasing out of that and into the hunting world. I mean, it's a really interesting book, man.
1: Yeah, thanks. If I'd have known you were reading it at night in bed, I would have put a fold-out map in it for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's no, solid, a, man. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's a, I think it's a phenomenal book. I became aware of it because... Some of the equipment I buy, I'll buy on um, Minnesota, Minnesota. Trapline oh, yeah. products. Um, we've talked a bunch about like the MB, you know, Minnesota brand traps and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You'd go on there. I didn't, and then I had no idea that dude.
1: Yeah. He's, he's chronicled on there as well. Yeah. yeah like, Tim Caven. Yeah. That
0: dude, his history as a trapper. Absolutely. And like wildland firefighter. But I had no idea that he was as, like, bound up in that whole thing.
1: You know the book was a uh, it was a labor of love. I started it in 2014, um, actually because the Trapper Predator Caller Magazine called me and they said, uh, "Would you consider writing a book uh, about trapping? A little bit of the trapping history for us?" And I said, "You know that's a you know that's a big that's a big thing. That's a lot of work. I'm not sure that I want to do that." And they go, "Well, we we would sell a bunch of them, and we think you would be the guy to do it for us. Your name on it would really make a make a point for us." And anyway. So I agreed to do it. I did a contract with them. And then like a few months later, they said, no, you know, we, the trapping business is going down. We've decided that we don't want to do the project anymore. Well, I had started it and made the outlines seriously? and everything. That seriously happened. And they eventually, eventually, Trapper Predator Call Magazine was sold out and was bought by other people. So it was like there, I think there was more to it than just the trapping business going down. But anyways, I shelved the idea until, oh, gosh. 2020. And, um, I get this call, this phone rings like eight o'clock at night and I look at it and I don't recognize a number. And normally I don't take it, but I'm like, I don't know who this is. I'm going to take it. So I took the call and it was from some, uh, I can't remember the, the man's name, but he was from the national trappers association. And he said, um, I'd like to talk to you about if you can come to the trappers convention this year in 2000, 2020 trappers convention, which was in July. Well, obviously it was, um, it was the, um, Covid thing, you know, there was all the Covid thing, or maybe it was two thousand twenty-one. No, it's two thousand twenty when the Covid hit in March of two thousand twenty. So yeah, it was like in July was when the event was going to be, but it was it was eventually canceled. But anyway, he says, um, he goes, I, I said, man, I, I haven't been to a trap convention in a long time, da da da. And he's like, well, he goes, we voted you into the Hall of Fame, the Trappers Hall of Fame. Well, I hadn't set a trap since nineteen ninety four, you know, hmm. and here I'm getting voted into the Trappers Hall of Fame. It's like, well, why, well, you know, what's up with that? And they go, well, it's just all the years of you promoting trapping through your TV shows and the fact that you were one of the first guys to do the videos and everything. So anyway, I hang up the phone him and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be in the Trappers Hall of Fame, This is cra-, which was just a huge honor to me. I mean, that's as good as it gets. And I thought, you know, I'm going to bring that book out. I'm going to bring that book out and look at my old notes of it from 2014. So I did. I brought that book out and I looked at it and I looked what I had going and I thought, it's COVID, all my trips are canceled now. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it.
0: Did you have a team of people that you worked on it with? No,
1: I did it totally by myself. It was sitting in my trophy room. Seriously? Yeah. I seriously did that. You wrote all those profiles? Everything, start to finish.
0: Never hired anybody to help
1: you. No. Nope. Damn.
0: Dude likes working.
1: I do like working. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, it was yeah. good. But the thing is, is the book is about, you know, the, there's history in the book, um, but it's really a, it's a, the, the book is actually uh, a tribute to all the people that I learned how to trap from, from the early, that, that gave me interest in trapping. I mean, there's, there's a part in there about Jeremiah Johnson's movie, you know, the yep. Jeremiah Johnson movie. I like that part. Yeah, uh, there's uh, parts in there. I think parts of it that people t- that touch all the trappers that, you know, that have the, uh, because there is a romance to trapping. There's a little bit of a romance to it for people who have done it before to look back and, because trapping every morning is like Christmas. You don't know what you're going to catch. You know, was it going to be an empty trap? Are you going to have a silver fox in it? What are you going to get? So it's kind of an, the book is kind of a motivational book to take somebody who used to trap and to bring back all those memories. And, yeah. it, and it was a tribute to the guys I learned how to trap from, or the books I bought, the books I read, the people that influenced me. Oh, man, it's a nostalgic enterprise, man.
0: Uh, there's a hundred ways. Tell people where to find you and how to find your book and and uh I don't know that's a long list of ways to find you but hit people with yeah like how to track you down on social media how to find your adventure bow hunting book master trappers you know yeah how I to mean, delve in
1: mostly if I'm on social media I have a I have a small Instagram thing I, I, for some reason I'm not that good on the phone so I use a little laptop and on the laptop I do Facebook and so uh, my uh, Facebook adventure bow hunter. You can find my page there. I have lots of videos on there. Um, or tommiranda.com, which is where my store is. That's easy to find. Tommiranda.com. Um, I have over 500 TV shows on my website that you can watch for free. Um, and then in, in my store, I have my books. The, uh, the, the, I have the Super Slam book I wrote in 2011 when I finished. People can find your books on Amazon too, right? Or is it uh, only, like,
0: I think, I, I can't remember. Yeah, there's some I've never seen them on Minnesota, Minnesota Trapline products.
1: Yeah, you know can that. get them from Tim Caven at Minnesota Trapline Products. Um, and order them direct from you. Or, or direct from me at TomMiranda.com. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the Trapline book is there too. And I sign all the books that anybody that buys a book from me on my website, I sign for them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So... I'm almost into my third printing, so I've sold two two full printings of those Trapper books. That's great. It's been really, really good. And lots lots of people have really sent me some long, heartfelt messages about how it really brought back the old days and the trapping to them. How cocky are you feeling about the trivia show we're going to record next? I don't know if I'm going to be that cocky about it, but um, I might have an answer or two up my sleeve.
0: What do you think, Matt? I'm expecting a strong performance,
3: Spencer. I have to. Uh, our most well traveled guest, our most accomplished bow hunting guest, I think that sets him up well. I'm going to whoop him.
4: He's seen a lot. Oh, got a lot we also answers.
3: recently upped our. Uh, oh, oh, no, don't told, oh now. Let me teach you something here, Steve. <laughs> we have a big announcement coming up on the trivia episode that we will tell you about on the oh, trivia I wouldn't episode. Over, remember our conversation about <laughs> overselling stuff. That's my job. <laughs> a big announcement that Steve is not going to reveal right now.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Miranda. Uh, hey, thanks. Check the next. We're not done with Tom. We're going to do uh meat eater trivia game on. Suckers. It'll serve up to you soon, and it will. Um, I'm expecting a just. A, I'm expecting a dominating performance from Tom Random. I like it. Stay tuned. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time. Getting in to go fishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear.